Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. Joining me today is astrologer Austin Kopic, and we're going to be looking at the astrological forecast for the entire month of February of 2024. Hey, Austin, thanks for joining me. Hey, Chris, nice to be here. We are back again. We're going to do a, a little bit lower of uh, expectation than we did last time, last month, where we forecasted the entire year ahead. This month, we're just going to look at the next four weeks, which seems almost sort of pitiful in comparison, but um, still nice to get back to something a little bit more manageable. Yeah, right. Well, it's uh, it's sort of the same project, but just looking at that one twelfth with greater magnification with, you know, one more month of data. Exactly. Uh, and we've got some exciting stuff to go through. So we're going to spend the first hour catching up on some like news and events that have happened from an astrological standpoint in the past month since we did our last forecast in mid-December. And then the second half of this episode, we're going to look ahead at February and focus on the astrology of next month and doing a deep dive into that uh, over the course of the second half of the episode. So as always, there's going to be timestamps on the podcast website or in the description below this video on YouTube for those watching the video version. So if you want to jump ahead to the forecast section, then go ahead and use those timestamps. All right, let me jump into this and give a quick overview of February 1st before we get into the uh, news section. All right, here's the Planetary Alignments calendar for February. And right at the top of the month, the first thing that happens is that Mercury ingresses into Aquarius or moves into Aquarius on February 5th, and then immediately forms a conjunction with Pluto, which has just recently moved into Aquarius uh, in late January. Then we have a new moon in the sign of Aquarius on the 9th of February, which is square Uranus. The following week, Mars moves into Aquarius on the 13th, and then immediately conjoins Pluto in the first degree of that sign on the 14th on February. So we've got a interesting looking Valentine's Day there with Mars conjunct Pluto. Two days later, Venus moves into Aquarius on the 16th, conjoins Pluto on the 17th. Then the Sun moves into Pisces on the 18th. Uh, Mars and Venus conjoin in the sign of Aquarius on the 22nd. Mercury moves into Pisces on the 23rd. Then we get our second lunation of the month, which is a full moon in the sign of Virgo on the 24th. Then Mars squares Jupiter on the 27th, and then we get a triple conjunction of the Sun, Mercury, and Saturn, all in Pisces on the 28th of February. And that is the sort of quick overview of the astrology that we're going to be talking about in this episode for February. All right. Um, how are you doing? How's how's 2024 treating you so far? Busy. Busy. The, um, the Mars and Capricorn, that Mars-Jupiter trine. Um, between Mars and Capricorn, Jupiter and Taurus. Um, it's just seen a lot of projects. I've been working on a lot of things, getting a lot done, but there's a lot to do. Um, uh, there's a remodel happening in part of the house. There's a new kitten. There's, you know, work, work, work. It's very, it's very martial. It's going, it's all going well, but, you know, I'm reminded that even when Mars is in you know, a, a pretty bonafide position where it's trying Jupiter and it's, you know, in a sign that it exalts. Um, it's still, you know, it's still pain in the ass. It's still loud. Uh, it's still tiring. It just means that the things that you intend to get done actually get done. Yeah, for sure. It's been interesting seeing the Mars and Capricorn energy lately, as well as the Jupiter sextiling um Saturn has been interesting mm -hmm. as well. Some of the balance from that between growth and expansion. 
Um, and then, of course, just Pluto going into Aquarius, there's been this explosion of tech stories. So um, in the news section here, the majority of my news stories are like tech stories, but a lot of that's just reflective of this huge shift that we're going into here with Pluto going into Aquarius for the next 20 years and some of the changes um, in the world and in society that are going to be associated with that. So why don't we jump into talking about that? Um, first story in the news, flying cars. Like we're finally in the flying car era of history now that we've hit 2024. It's a little bit late. Like I was told by Hollywood and by like Back to the Future that we'd have like at least like flying skateboards by now. So I've been a little bit disappointed until this point. But some of the news stories happening this month is that this is apparently going to be the year where a bunch of companies are launching um, EVTOL vehicles, which are electric vertical takeoff and landing vehicles, which are essentially like large electronic drones, except they're ones that people can ride in. Um, and there's going to be a major launch later this year by a company called Velocopter that's aiming for about the time of the Paris Olympics um, this summer. And they're hoping to transport tourists on five different routes with speeds up to 70 miles per hour or 110 kilometers per hour. So this is amazing, not just because of Pluto and Aquarius, but also because Jupiter is going into Gemini this year, which is something we talked about being associated with like travel and like different forms of travel and just like getting around locally. But here, what we have is an advancement in that in terms of technology, a really tangible one where people are going to be getting around their city faster than they used to before because the purpose of these vehicles apparently is to get around short distances like cities quicker than like a car or a bus bus would and i thought that was really fascinating yeah it's right on the nose you know um having snuck a peek and contributed to our list of stories a lot of this pluto and aquarius stuff that's happening just as pluto re-entered is um um how do i put this uh deeply uncreative in the sense that it's not surprising it's like kind of exactly what we've been talking about since we've been talking about pluto and aquarius and we are good astrologers but this was not a hard assignment um in the sense that it's almost like cliche let's try let's try all the science fiction things but for real um and so yeah flying cars <laughs> um are 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 not a surprise, right? What is it that they're eVTOLs, right? And we've had VTOL, VTOL's been a designation for vehicles for some time. Um, but these are electronic and they're consumer rather than military facing or civilian rather than military facing. Um, and they look very different. They look like, yeah, they look they have the design of of um of drones. Well, a lot of the drones, some drones look like uh some drones look like planes, but these are the ones that look like cute little multi-rotor helicopters yeah exactly so it's like that company's launching one um hyundai just unveiled their air taxi at a recent consumer trade expo as well um and there's another company that's also launching um like a self uh piloted sort of short distance vehicle as well where apparently you don't need a pilot's license as long as you're flying over a rural area so they say, like I was reading an article on The Economist, and they say that this is estimated or projected to be an, a market that's going to be worth um, over a trillion dollars by 2040. 
And I thought the timing on that was interesting because, of course, that's when we'll be getting towards the end of this 20-year Pluto and Aquarius period. So this is one of the major areas that we can expect some transformation of society and culture in some ways through technology that's going to be different by the time we leave this Pluto and Aquarius period compared to when we went into it. And I'm sure that's just going to get accelerated like crazy once Uranus goes into Gemini here next year. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And, and it this um, this particular set of technologies begs the same question that I don't or asks the same question that so many uh, so many emerging uh, applications do, which is okay. So that we can build a thing that does that, but how is that going to work at scale, right? And what what role will it eventually end up having, right? Because we can. <clears throat> You know, we can imagine, um, uh, you know, we can imagine a near future city skyline buzzing with uh, buzzing with these little air taxis and this and that, because we've seen it literally 100 times um, in movies. Um, but is that is that how it actually fits into the world? And that's that's a question that all this stuff um, keeps keeps asking to me is like, OK, that can be done. But how does it fit into the world? You know, it's not whether the question is not, can that be done? Um, but how is that actually going to fit into the world? Um, yeah. So, yeah. And how and, you know, this is the Saturnian part of Aquarius. What <clears throat> what new <clears throat> in order to fit into the world, what kind of rules or regulations are going to have to be in place? Um, because right now, um, yeah, there, there's the one that you can fly without a license if there's widespread adoption, like that's not going to be the case. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's going to be a disaster. Well, that's part of it is that right <laughs> now, one of the companies, Velocopter's goal was to have their, their goal is to have pilotless self-flying vehicles. So there you're talking about basically like AI being used to like fly people around the city automatically without human input. Um, but right now, due to current regulations, as well as due to like the state of AI still being very early on, um, the government's like, no, you can't do that. So there has to be like a pilot piloting these things. But I think that's one of the Pluto and Aquarius themes that we'll see in the long term is just as AI gets better and better with self-driving cars and such, like with you know Tesla is doing, um, that's going to be transplanted to air travel as well, apparently as well. Well, yeah, I'm, I mean, even uh, commercial. Uh, commercial flights for a long time have had the computer take over for most of the time between takeoff and landing. Right, you know, for sure. Yeah, um, like... and uh, you know we'll see more of that. But like some of this is that's presented as completely revolutionary is actually just. Well, what if we could do that other twenty percent with a computer? Yeah. Well, and I guess I forgot to mention that in the Pluto in Aquarius episode that I did this month, because I took your suggestion so that we didn't spend like five hours talking about Pluto and Aquarius in the last episode. And I did that as a separate episode with Nick Dagan Best, where we went through Pluto and Aquarius in history. A point that I forgot to make in that episode towards the end is oftentimes when there was like a new technology introduced, sometimes it involved just the complete decimation of like a previous technology that had been used up to that point or a, or a previous method of doing work or doing things so like you know when paper was eventually developed by china and was imported into the west it ended up completely supplanting um the pre-existing use of papyrus 
which had been used in in Egypt as like the primary writing method for for year or for for millennia. Um, so we're seeing a similar thing here with AI, where a lot of these new technologies have the potential to just like not just displace and decimate previous technologies, but in some instances also like different workforces. There's already a lot of people that are that just are are concerned or just know that their jobs are potentially on the line when some of these technologies are fully matured and developed and and sort of unleashed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. So that's one major area that we're going to be paying attention to this year, because I think that's going to be one of our main keywords by the end of this year is the electric vertical takeoff and landing sort of vehicles. Um, in other Pluto and Aquarius news, um, Google, an, an internal memo was leaked from Google recently saying that their primary goal in 2024 is to deliver, quote, to quote unquote, deliver the world's most advanced, safe and responsible AI and they're expected to release a new state-of-the-art version of their Gemini AI sometime very soon. So that's something I'm going to be paying attention to. And Like when Jupiter goes into Gemini? I mean, you know, that's probably, not, you know, we wouldn't be surprised. It might be soon, sooner than that, but certainly by the time Jupiter goes into Gemini, I think that's going to be the main thing because I've been using the sort of early version of that recently, and I really like it a lot more than the other... AI that people have been using, which is ChatGPT. So um, tied in with that, um, on January 22nd, I thought this was really interesting, just like right after, just days after Pluto went into Aquarius on the 20th, um, a, a company called Berkeley Artificial Intelligence, their researchers showed off a video of their general purpose humanoid robot that was just like walking around San Francisco. And for me, this was like one of the most surreal things to see that I was paying attention to and noticed in the news right after um, Pluto went into Aquarius is you just have this, this little robot. Mm. He's just strolling around town, just walking around. He's a happy robot. Um, I appreciate that his like steps or his gait is kind of short because I feel like I could outrun that robot. Um, and that's one of the things that makes it less intimidating. But I just thought this was a really surreal image at the very, because remember, we're at the very beginning of this 20-year period of Pluto and Aquarius. And sometimes, like with Bitcoin, when Pluto first went into Capricorn and Bitcoin was first developed, sometimes technologies you see just starting to emerge at the beginning of a period like that, by the end, you see them becoming much more common and much more all over the place. So that's one thing that caught my eye. Yeah, that's part of the the like the near future sci-fi slash cyberpunk dystopia checklist that that Pluto and Aquarius is doing a really good job of filling out, right? Like flying cars, right. drones, um, yeah, humanoid robots. Yes, and then we're we're yeah. in the flying flying cars and robots walking around San Francisco era of history. I appreciate that. I, I'll, I'll let you know whether I appreciate it or not. Um, I'm, I'm certainly uh, intrigued. Certainly intrigued. All right. Again, I, um, I would like. Uh, where's my power armor? Um, right. That's <laughs> that's part of this. You know, that's part of the cyberpunk expansion pack, the DLC uh, for our current civilization that I'd like to see happen. Yeah. Where's your like mech suit? That's what you're looking for. 
Yeah, well, no, just like powered armor, it can be a human, like a um, a powered exoskeleton. Okay, I like that. I, well, I don't. I mean, honestly, like I'm not. Nothing is off the table at this point. So we're joking about that, but uh, you know, we'll see how it goes in the next few years. Oh, I'm I'm half joking about it. I mean, it's been in development for well over a decade, or several companies in the military has been working on it for well over a decade. Uh, they just haven't worked it out yet. Yeah. All right. So um, other things that happened, uh, CES, which is the Consumer Technology Association trade show, happened in Vegas this past month in the middle of January. One of the most interesting things I saw astrologically was um, one company unveiled the world's first um, transparent, the world's first transparent glass panel that also contained a micro LED screen. So it was really wild because it was like a transparent like wall, a glass panel, but images could be viewed on it like a television so that you can both see through it, but also see images projected onto it at the same time. And I thought that was like very Saturn conjunct Neptune because it's like a wall with an ambiguous boundary that you can see illusory stuff in. Yeah, that's perfect. It's um, Project Samsara. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be a major Saturn conjunct Neptune theme. And that's something that we had talked about. Um, here's a, let me see if I can actually show that actually really quick for the sake of those watching the video version. Here it is. So it's just like a piece of glass, but then all of a sudden you're like watching stuff projected onto it while still being able to see through it. Mm -hmm. So again, we're at the very beginning of this. So just imagine um, once this technology starts becoming, you know, having greater societal like penetration is kind of like all over the place, then you're again getting into other sort of like cyberpunk sort of futuristic type things that we used to see in like movies and things, but this is like actually happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was really interesting. Um on a similar Saturn conjunct Neptune note, Apple has finally released their virtual reality headset called Vision Pro. It's coming out February 2nd, but they've been releasing it to the media and doing a huge media blitz over the past week or two, um, ever since Pluto went into Aquarius. And they're pushing really hard to call it spatial computing, which I thought was interesting in terms of the Saturn conjunct Neptune theme that we're talking about this year and that's relevant for this. And they're actually avoiding calling it the more standard designations of augmented reality, virtual reality, or mixed reality, even though that's what it is and what category it falls into. And they're calling it spatial computing and a spatial operating system because part of the thing is they have different apps that are supposed to, you're supposed to use that you could put this thing on and then have like 10 screens in front of you in different places if you wanted to um, in order to increase productivity. But um, <laughs> that that does not sound like it would be. <laughs> um, yeah. Does having thirty windows open on your computer increase productivity? I mean, I do have a lot of tabs open. I have to say, um, but having them all in front of me at once may be a little bit distracting. You've got a you've got a point there. Um, but it is interesting that it has this dial where you can dial up the virtual reality, or you can dial it back into like seeing your surroundings in front of you. And I think that's, that's going to really be one of our 
that's one of our, our keywords, I think, for this year in retrospect is going to be like with Saturn conjunct Neptune is mm -hmm. like, you know, turning up or down the tuning in and out of like this world and being connected with reality versus being in some other place where suddenly you're not in reality. That's really interesting, both as an actual technology, but also just uh, metaphorically, like have being able to find that knob and adjust how much of an overlay you're getting. Uh, that's that's really interesting. <laughs> exactly. I think we're all by the end of this year going to wish we had one of those knobs just for everything in terms of just all the crazy events happening this year, especially like like politics and other stuff that's going to ramp up and wanting to tune out of that. And that might be also just part of the general theme um, as well in a, in a more, I don't know, philosophical or almost like, like spiritual sense in terms of that. Yeah. That's funny. It's like your, your Gnostic, uh, your Gnostic adjuster. Right. Um, so the last thing about that is just the killer app to me, that's part of this vision pro that I think could become a bigger thing in the long term is it has the ability to use your iPhone to take a panoramic picture, like a still image that's panoramic, or to record a full 3D video using your iPhone. But then you can use this, this Vision Pro headset to watch it later as if you were there. And it will give you the sense of like being there in person and being able to like look around um, in a full 360 view of what 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 you were able to see at that time when you were present there and i think that's really interesting because it seems to represent like a evolution in terms of originally we had you know pictures like still images like a single image that you can just see a frame of what could be seen in the frame of that picture then eventually we had video which is like still restricted to the frame of what you could see but it's like a moving picture um but now this next new version is like having that capturing a moment in time and a set of images or video, but being able to move your head and like look around at what was in the vicinity uh, at that time as well. So I think that's something else that's emerging in terms of both the Saturn-Neptune conjunction, as well as some of the Pluto and Aquarius like technology things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, and you can see that having a lot of um, entertainment applications it seems like it would be really good for real estate um for you know the buying and selling of real estate yeah um yeah that's really interesting maybe engineering who knows yeah and it's like a, obviously the downsides are, are going to be there as well because we already have increasingly like you see those pictures at concerts and like if you see an audience at a concert there's just like hundreds of people holding up phones and in that way being somewhat like disconnected from the moment or being more disconnected from it, but then in another sense, um, capturing the moment and preserving it in some ways. So there's an interesting tension between those two that we'll, we'll have to pay attention to as a continuing theme of both immersion in a moment or virtual immersion in the moment, but also uh, a stepping back or a disconnection from the moment at the same time. Yeah. And so again, this brings up the same question that all of these do, which is um, sort of how does the both, how does it work in practice when it's deployed? And then the, the second part of that is how do people act around it? Right. Because, right. Uh, you know, you can see a cultural reaction where people become more disconnected um, from, 
you know, normal reality, or you can, you know, sometimes when you, things move too far in one direction, then that finally provokes uh, a rejection culturally. Um, you know, the, uh, and yeah, it's, so it's, it's, it's all really interesting and it all begs these questions, right? Like what, so this can be done and then what happens when we do it, right? And that, you know, the reason, or so this keeps getting brought up to me and this is also, this speaks to a very core part of Aquarius, which is the power of the experiment, yeah, you know this is um, you know when I teach Aquarius in you know astrology 101, one of the things, one of the sort of paradigms I always try to get people to bring to it is it's experimental, and you know you want Saturnian data, like you have to see whether it works, how it works, whether there are unforeseen consequences, whether there are benefits you didn't even uh, you didn't imagine, um, but there's a certain there's always a, there's always a certain risk in experiment. In a sense, every experiment always works because you always get data, right? You always move from the unknown to the known. Um, but there, you know, there, there, uh, there's a reason why um, uh, in, uh, an empirical component is necessary to any would-be scientific method, but you have to see what actually happens. Um, and part of, uh, part of that is cultural as well as practical, economic, and physics based and all of that yeah and i love that because aquarius more than any other sign loves to experiment for the sake of experimentation mm -hmm. for the sake of like knowledge and just like seeing what works and like seeing what would happen if i did this or like combine these two things and just a fascination for technology and but sometimes it sort of like stops there that's the extent of it where it's like there's other signs where you start thinking about or dealing with but what are the implications of that or, or what's the implications for society yeah and i would say as a venus and aquarius um the joy of discovery um is one of uh is one of a, a aquarius's principal pleasures right the joy of discovering something that's real that's part of the real um that you had no idea about right and it's like you know, like that, that's, that's its own irreplaceable, um, flavor of pleasure or joy. It's one of the 31 flavors. <laughs> right. And then the last thing is with Pluto though, moving into sign, one of the things with Pluto transits is like Pluto stuff. It just tells you, it's like, this is happening one way or another, like this is happening and this isn't something you can change. And I think that's the state that we're going to find ourselves in increasingly with some of these technologies like AI is like all this stuff is happening and it's not something that you can put the brakes on and bring to a full stop because so many different people, there's so much momentum and so many people are trying to develop different things so that it becomes a thing that to some extent with some of these technologies, you end up having to go with um, I don't want to say because you don't have a choice, but just that um, with Pluto, there's often a, a sense of like compulsion yeah. there, if that oh, makes sense. The, um, the experiment is happening, right? The uh, <laughs> there's no there's no opting out of this stuff of all of this stuff getting um, uh, getting deployed and then being part of the data set for what happens. Yeah, well, and I saw somebody say like recently in a discussion about AI stuff that the AI stuff is happening one way or another. And he said, it's a race at this, it will be a race to 
both the good, the quote unquote, good guys and bad guys will be developing AI. And so the good guys just need to have better AI than the bad guys is the only way that that race is going to be won. And I thought it was interesting that some people were framing it in that way, or that was their mindset at least. Yeah. I think that that's probably not enough dimensions. Right. Yeah. That that would be my suspicion. I would say there's sure. also the incompetent and the competent. And the incompetent but well-intended may do more damage than any other faction. Mm. Yeah. Um, all right. So related, though, going back to the VR thing, you actually had noticed a story that was relevant to that, right? Yeah. Um, in my in my class forum, somebody put up a, a link to <laughs> right after Pluto went in Aquarius um, to a Japanese high school that is trying to do that is uh, going to do an experiment with a completely virtual high school where all the students will attend uh, via their computers and they will have anime avatars and we'll see what happens. Wow, that's wild. I mean, yeah, I guess that's in an inevitability and like makes sense but it's interesting that we're already there at this point it's also on the nose right um right. so looking looking at my uh my cyberpunk dystopia checklist the only thing i'm not seeing in <laughs> in our uh our rundown um is uh bio augments which i know are being worked on but like yeah uh brain computer interfaces and um uh limb or organ replacements which we probably just didn't look hard enough, but that's right. that's another essential part of that um, uh, of what was imagined then. And let me just say something like I, I, I it sounds like I'm kind of joking and I am kind of joking. But what's interesting about all of these like near future, um, uh, these near future visions, which I'm abbreviating as cyberpunk dystopia, is that that genre and those visions really all happen during <clears throat> Uh, during uh, during Jupiter Saturn Pluto in Libra, right after the Jupiter Saturn conjunction in the early eighties, and what's interesting about that is from a two hundred year long cycle Jupiter Saturn um, Jupiter Saturn cycle perspective, that was a that was a jump ahead into the two hundred years of air before we were actually done with Earth. Um, and so that was, uh, and it just so happened that Pluto was in the same sign, air sign, as that that early, that little bit too early Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in Libra. Um, but we got all of these um, quite prophetic uh, <clears throat> fictional landscapes from that period about now. And a lot of them are dated from like now, a lot of them, uh, they start like late 20s and then they run you know, um, into mid-century. Um, but that was the perfect time for a fictionalized early vision of this phase to come through. It's really interesting. That's brilliant. I love that. Yeah, because you had that conjunction in 1980, but then you had the back, it, it went back to earth signs in 2000, but then in mm -hmm. 2020, we're back permanently to air signs. Yeah, and so there, there was this this sort of um, this preview or this sizzle re sizzle reel of the future, um, and I I just want to add one more thing about that. One of the sort of principal architects of that vision, there are a number of sort of seminal cyberpunk authors, um, William Gibson, um, when asked about when people started seeing his stuff come uh, come true with the internet launching. Uh, internet launching and being widely adopted, like I don't know, 15 years after 
his books got popular and they're like, oh, how do you know you you think so well about technology? You know, how are you making these predictions? And he said he, he doesn't think about technology. He thinks about he thinks about and observes how people act around technology. And mm. that that was his principal focus. That's a brilliant insight. Yeah, because people dynamics are often very similar. That's one of the things I was surprised about. And it fascinated me about studying ancient astrology as we think about ancient people, ancient life being so different. But in fact, that's the reason why Western astrology and the system that was created 2000 years ago still works because a lot of the fundamental dynamics of life are still very similar. Yeah. I mean, there's the right that there's a new technology which gives an advantage in this field how do people act around it right right um you know whether it's a, a agriculture or warfare you know or whatever yeah for sure um so you had noticed a story i had missed about that was a nice preview of some of the things we talked about in the year ahead forecast that i was bringing up a lot about potential use of some of these technologies especially the saturn neptune stuff to deceive people when it comes to like politics and some of the election stuff that'll probably happen, which we saw last time there was a Saturn-Neptune alignment in 2016. Um, but it seemed like you noticed like a little early preview of what we were kind of anticipating there. Yeah. Just this week, there was a story uh, that was run about <clears throat> the New Hampshire primaries. Apparently there was, um, there was a robocall that was going out to registered democrats that had um that had a faked version of biden's voice who was telling them that when this fake biden was telling them that their votes were so important that they shouldn't use them up in the primary by voting for him they should instead save their vote for the main election which is of course not how voting works um but you know it was um you know this is a message from your president et cetera et cetera and it, and it wasn't and so that was that was part of the not not the cool not the cyberpunk checklist but the 2024 checklist that you know how do people act around technology um they will leverage <laughs> they will leverage technology to win political power or to prevent people from obtaining political power um so it was it was nice to see that that's already started yeah Nice. Uh, not, not, not quote unquote big quotes, air quotes. Yeah. Um it, yeah, it was astrologer good, nice when you see something terrible happening, but you're so impressed that the astrology is lining up well that you're almost almost not even mad. Um, except we're gonna see a lot more of that this year. Uh on a more, I don't know, positive note, but a similar vein. I saw there was a some photos like going viral, and they were these AI generated photos that looked lifelike of like Trump and Biden. Um, hanging out together and they were like baking cookies and just like um, being best pals. And that was a similar sort of thing in terms of the Saturn-Neptune conjunction this year and just the use of um, AI to generate photos and to try to influence things politically by creating misinformation basically is going to be so prevalent this year because it's not just happening with photo, but it's also increasingly happening with video. And I think people are going to be shocked by the end of the year at how fast the um, AI-generated video component of things develops and how um, lifelike it starts to end up looking. Yeah, we're going to have to get, excuse me, we're going to have to get a lot sharper um, quickly, which probably won't happen, you know, no. statistically. Um, no. I saw, yeah, I saw um, 
a mildly convincing AI generated version of Biden and Trump and George Bush Jr. and Obama playing Dungeons and Dragons. Nice. On YouTube. <laughs> it's I pretty mean, good. Yeah, that's pretty entertaining, I feel like, at least. I All right. Obama was DMing. Anyway. Yeah, uh, maybe in an, in an alternative world, an alternative. I mean, I kind of like that use of it to create like alternative, happier timelines when politicians are, um, I don't know, friendlier to each other or not not as jerks. That, to that's each what's other. that's what's actually happening behind the scenes in the secret societies. Is they're just playing D and D. Okay, that's what happens at like the what's the one in California, like the the Grove. Place or... Oh, Bohemian Grove, right? Yeah, Bo Bohemian Grove. I mean, Bo Bohemian Grove seems pretty larpy. Um, yeah, from what I hear. Um, all right, so moving on <laughs> to other Saturn conjunct Neptune things, there was another major thing in the news that was really evocative of the Saturn Neptune conjunction, which is that um, over the past month, global sea trade has slowed down dramatically due to the Houthis in Yemen attacking cargo ships in the Red Sea. Um, and this is now forcing ships, instead of going through the Red Sea um, with, with cargo, to instead go all the way around Africa and all the way around the Cape of Good Hope in order to carry goods and other stuff. So something like 12% of all global trade then has been disrupted. And it's really interesting how that fits the symbolism that you literally have like a slowing down, which is Saturn of sea trade and things like that, which is Neptune. Yeah. And um, of course, it's Saturn. So it's targeting a choke point or a narrowing. Um, so do you know what the uh, what the name of the entry point into the Red Sea, the southern entry point, not the Suez Canal? Do you know what that entry point is called? It's perfect. No. It's the uh, uh, the Gate of Tears which is oh, wow. such a Saturn and Pisces thing. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that, uh, and um, so that started, that got going while Mars was in Sagittarius squaring Saturn and Pisces. And recently with Mars's movement into Capricorn and sextiling Saturn in Pisces, um, we've seen a retali retaliatory uh, action from the U S military Um and, you know, as I was telling you, um, as I was, as I've been watching this, um, it just makes, it feels like it's just leading towards, um, uh, leading towards whatever happens during the Mars-Saturn conjunction in mm -hmm. Pisces, which is late March. Uh, it's perfect in mid-April, but it starts late March. Um, because that, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that Saturn in Pisces screams, uh, restriction of trade via waterways and then with the configuration of mars right conflict around that and so the square gave us the increased uh increased attacks the sextile gave us retaliatory action and then where will we be right in a few months when we have the mars saturn conjunction in pisces which of course because it's a, a conjunction sets the stage for another two years of Mars Saturn action being sort of like a, a new moon for difficult things. And then, yeah, which we, which we talked about being related to the ocean. Cause we'd seen an early preview of that in like June when Saturn first stationed in Pisces. And we saw the explosion of that story about the submarine that sank as well as other, um, 
disasters that were happening in the in the ocean at the time. So it was one of the things we like talked about on the year had forecast just last month. And it was interesting seeing just such a literal version of that here. Yeah. And, you know, it really struck me, um, you know, it really struck me that, you know, the gate of tears thing um, was, <laughs> you know, there are Pisces are we're a, we're 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 prone to melancholy. Um, and so having Saturn a gate, what what is the Pisces uh, Saturn gate called? Oh, it's the gate of tears. Um, and just reminding me that Saturn rules gates and um choke points, right? It's not the open ocean so much as it is this like this uh this fluid corridor um where it matters a lot whether things can pass through or not. Um and then it it <clears throat> It brought up, um, to me, it brought up another Pluto and Aquarius tech point. Um, and so this point, again, uh, this point's relevant to a lot of these concerns. Um, but in this case, it it was the the economics of um, uh, uh, the economics of sophisticated of ex expensive and sophisticated weapon systems versus effective weapon systems. So there's a lot of criticism because in order to shoot down um, uh, some of the some of the drones which were used to at attack shipping vessels, those drones cost about two thousand um, dollars, and some of the missiles, the incredibly sophisticated missiles with their great guidance systems, um, in order to nullify them, uh, they you know they were spending a million dollars a pop for interceptors, right? So that's a I don't know what like a set of 50,000 to one, no, uh, 5,000, 5,000 to one cost differential. And so, you know, we're, we're really seeing, um, we're really seeing a lot of these Pluto and Aquarius technologies at the, this can be done stage and there's the human reaction and there's, you know, scaling as challenges, but then there's also the economics, right? Like with the robots, it's like, even if, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, terrifying and efficacious robots can be made if they cost $70 million a piece, that's never going to be part of the real for most people. Right. And I, that's not a, that that's not a, an estimate of how much they're going to cost. I'm just saying, for example, if, you know, if something, uh, incredibly sophisticated and expensive can be nullified uh, extremely cheaply or is in competition with something cheaper, even if something miraculous can be created, then it doesn't really become part of the world if there's a vastly cheaper alternative. And that's part of all of this stuff, all of these um, new technologies or new applications. Yeah, that's a great theme to to pay attention to as, as an emerging theme during this time. Um, good point. And, you know, of course, part of the scary thing about this is whether this is touching off like a larger regional war, which seeing an escalation of all this stuff in, in, in that area is, is a little scary. So we'll have to pay attention to it and keep an eye on it. Um, Julie in the comments says, in the uh, patron and the live audience who's joining us today says, I work in the fishing slash US government sector and commercial quota and allocations have been greatly reduced. Um, so oh, I thought that was Saturn Pisces. Yeah, exactly. So um, I thought that was great. Um, all right. So moving on to other stories, the last like major one I saw was like a social media story, but it was in one involving like a timed birth chart. So I thought it was interesting. Um, so there was this story about um, a woman named Gypsy Rose Blanchard, who was recently released from jail. And this is 
really big a few weeks ago, but it happened happened after our last forecast. So I thought I'd mention it because the astrology was just stunningly striking. Um, so here's a little summary where um, her Gypsy's mother had Munchausen syndrome by proxy, which is a mental illness in which a caregiver fabricates or exaggerates an illness in a dependent person for attention or sympathy. So in this case, the mother convinced the daughter that she had a number of medical conditions, including muscular dystrophy, leukemia, and asthma. And the daughter was subjected to unnecessary medical procedures and surgeries throughout her life, which is this really crazy story. And eventually what happened was the daughter um, got together with like a boyfriend online and they ended up hatching a plot to like murder um, the daughter's mother, which they did. And then both were caught and sent to jail. But I think partially due to the circumstances of what the mother had put the daughter through, she received a lighter sentence of like a decade in prison and then eventually was just released after only eight years in prison um, after being convicted of second degree murder. So what's really interesting is I just happened to glance at it and notice we had a time birth chart. And, and first off, the daughter's birth chart is just incredible um, because she was born with Libra rising, <clears throat> with Libra rising and the ruler of the ascendant is Venus. And Venus is at six degrees of Virgo in the 12th whole sign house, uh, very closely conjunct Mars at seven degrees of Virgo in a day chart. So I thought this was an amazing symbolism just in and of itself, both because the 12th house represents sometimes like sickness or illness, but also it can represent like imprisonment or being imprisoned or captive. And unfortunately for like a large part of her life, um, for like the first 20 years, she was pretty much held a prisoner and was um, made sick basically by her mother due to whatever mental issues were going on at that time. And then additionally, um, Mars is the ruler of the seventh house of relationships because she has Aries on the seventh house. And so the ruler Mars is there in the 12th house conjunct Venus, bringing in that that other component where it was the partner who ended up murdering her mother. And he's actually now in prison for life, uh, whereas she was released after only eight years. So there were some really interesting like natal indications there just, just to start with, I think, right? Oh, yeah. When you have so, the you know the ruler of the first and the seventh, the person and their partner right there together in the twelfth, right? Um, plotting secretly, um, and then also um, both imprisoned. Right, exactly. And so, two other things. So, I did a whole episode uh, of the Casual Astrology podcast with Nick Dagan Best on this just a few weeks ago, just for patrons through our page on Patreon. And we noticed two other things immediately in her chart that are super striking. So one, um, Venus is actually slowing down and is just 4.8 days from stationing retrograde in this chart. So Venus actually, when she was born, was stationing retrograde in Virgo. It's just days away from stationing retrograde in Virgo. So that's point one. Point two is the moon. Um, Actually, there was just a lunar eclipse in the sign of Aquarius conjunct Saturn the day before she was born. So in addition to that like interesting 12th house stuff, 
Um, she was also born on Venus stationing retrograde, and she was also born on a lunar eclipse conjunct Saturn. And both of those two themes, I think, really emphasize and bring up the themes with the mother, um, since both the moon as well as Venus are traditionally associated with the mother in a person's birth chart. Um, and what's interesting about that is, so get this, this is what we found, and Nick saw this after just like 10 minutes of research. So the daughter was born four days before Venus went retrograde in Virgo, right? Get this. So the mother was born in 1967, um, which was the same year as Venus went retrograde in Virgo, um, just like not too long before the mother was born. So the mother was born essentially in the same year as the same Venus retrograde in Virgo, which recurs every eight years. So that's not it. That's not all, though. Um, in 2019, there was a like a biopic that was made about this story. And the woman who played the actress who played the daughter, whose birth chart we just looked at, that was born when Venus stationed retrograde um, in 1991 in Virgo, the actress that played her was born the day that Venus stationed retrograde in Virgo in 1999. So she was born exactly, almost exactly eight years later. Um, on top of that, the murder itself occurred um, in 2015, just 45 days before Venus went retrograde in Virgo in that year, so another eight-year increment. And then finally, the daughter was released from jail in 2023, just months after Venus had gone retrograde in the same series in another eight-year increment. So there's crazy Venus retrograde tied in here, but there's also crazy eclipse stuff. So the daughter was born the day of a lunar eclipse in Aquarius, it turns out that the mother was born a few days before a solar eclipse in Taurus. Then the actress that played the daughter, whose name is Joey King, she was born two days after a lunar eclipse in Aquarius, just like the daughter she was playing. And then finally, the actress Patricia Arquette, who played the mother in the biopic, was born just before a lunar eclipse. So there's like crazy Venus retrograde and eclipse stuff happening with all of the people involved, not just in the family itself and the events surrounding it, but also even in the charts of the people playing them. Yeah, it's, wild? it's totally wild. It, it, it really goes to show that the two most interesting things that were happening in the sky um, when she was born were, oh, Venus is just about to station retrograde and there's just an eclipse. Right. And like those and then when you follow the like the, the movement of those in time, like follow the eclipses and follow that Venus retrograde cycle, you get the timeline for the most important story in her life. Exactly. At least from from the outside. Hopefully there are other stories that we can't see that are more important for her. But yeah, exactly. One, it just it, it illustrates so much stuff like you have to then see because we saw so much of that last summer, like, you know, I saw that with Barbie where Greta Gerwig, we saw Barbie released when Venus was stationing retrograde and then mm -hmm. turned out Greta Gerwig was born the day that Venus stationed retrograde in the same cycle. So there's a repetition of when you see a natal signature in somebody's chart, you just look for the repetitions of that as coinciding with the key moments in their life. But um, there's also just this separate phenomenon that ever, other people, other astrologers have noticed from time to time, which is that sometimes the people that play um, that, that play real life people, sometimes the actors or actresses 
they have similar signatures in their own birth chart or some sort of connection between their birth chart and the person that they play. And I, but I've never seen a, an example as striking as this one in terms of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. So I think that would be a great episode to do. So if anybody has any other examples of like actors that have really impressive charts relative to the people that they're playing or interesting correlations in terms of that, send them in. Cause I might like to do an episode on that at some point here soon. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. So um, that's actually, I believe, the end of the news segments, unless you've got anything else that you noticed. Oh, not in particular, um, but um, somebody somebody brought something up in the comments that's that this illustrates the um, the the number of times you see people playing someone in a biopic with very similar um, a very similar chart or um others at least a piece of the chart that is um you know that is replicating the original story um it makes me think about being a casting agent right be like well let me see your chart you know uh so you're going to play theodore roosevelt or you know or whoever right like let's take a look at the chart do you have the right stellium yeah you're like oh you have the same sun moon and rising you have the job yeah yeah yeah, like yeah. Well, yeah. It, it's yeah, it seems like there are two kinds of actors. There are actors and then there are people who are fun to watch who are just like this thing. And you just want to see that. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. All right. I'm definitely going to do an episode on that. That's a fascinating topic. And now I'm now I'm interested. Fun. Yeah. All right. I wanted to give a shout out to our sponsor for this episode, which is the Chenny app, which is the number one astrology app for self-discovery, mindfulness and healing. So the Chenny app is this amazing app that I've been using for the past few months since it came out for Android, and it's also available for iPhone. So it's designed to make astrology both accessible as well as useful, and the app combines a, a brilliant uh, blend of ancient as well as modern astrological techniques, um, along with other things like meditation and mindfulness to help you foster your relationship with the sky and support your personal growth. From personalized readings to real-time updates on how the current astrology is impacting you, it features everything you need to navigate life's ups and downs. This includes detailed birth chart breakdowns, daily horoscopes, current sky horoscopes, transit readings, intel on the current moon phase and sign, weekly sign-specific audio readings by Chani Nicholas, year-ahead forecasts, and more. Um, for me personally, as I've said the past few months, the things I enjoy about the app the most is one, that blend of modern and traditional astrology. So it makes it actually very close to my personal approach um, so that if I was to design an app, it would probably be similar to this, uh, even though it's way better than anything I could have designed myself. But two, it's one of the only apps that uses whole sign houses by default, which again matches my technical approach here on the podcast. Three, it sends you notifications when the transits in the sky go exact, which is very helpful. And four, I really appreciate that it's now available for Android in addition to iPhone. So the app is free to download on iOS and Android app stores. Just search Chani, C-H-A-N-I, in the app store and you'll find it, or otherwise visit app.chani.com for more information. All right. So thanks a lot to Chani for sponsoring this episode. All right, so let's transition into talking about the forecast for February at this point um, and what the astrology is going to look like and breaking it down uh, here. 
So um, let's talk about big picture things. Um, what are you excited about? What are you not excited about about Aquarius? What are some of the main signatures that we can look forward to when it comes to this month? Yeah. So <clears throat> the big thing that stands out is that there's just a stampede of planets or a flock of planets that coalesces in Aquarius. Um, the month begins with just the sun, Pluto, and Aquarius. Um, but as we move steadily through the month, um, we get Mercury into Aquarius, which then hits Pluto. Um, by the middle of the month, I believe the 13th, we get Mars into Aquarius, which hits Pluto. And then a few days later, we get Venus into Aquarius, which then hits Pluto. And so there are there are two, two sides of this um, that excite me. Um, <laughs> I don't know, maybe excite's not the right word, that interest me. Um, one is just that this is a lot of planets in Aquarius. And so whatever the Aquarius sector of a person's chart is, is just getting lit up. It's the sun and then all three swiftly moving planets. Of course, we also get a new moon there. Um, so we'll also have a new moon in Aquarius with these planets. Um, and so it's just a ton of emphasis and it's not, uh, it's not, um, decidedly, positive or negative for most people, right? We have Venus. Yay. We have Mars. Grr. We have Mercury. Buzz. Um, as well as the Sun and Pluto. Um, Can you and say so, Grr more often anytime you mention a malefic transit from now on? I would appreciate that. <laughs> well, that was, yes. that was for Mars, right? Okay. Uh, I don't think Saturn is Grr. I'll have to come up with an appropriate sound effect for, sa <laughs> for okay. Saturn. I mean, icy silence might. Right. Just if I could make stare. my silence icier, then maybe that would be good for Saturn. Um, if I could weaponize my awkward silence, that would be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why well, you got to be so awkward, bud? Yeah. Um, so, but so there's that, right? It's just a lot in Aquarius, which will just light up the Aquarius parts of all these charts. Um, and then there's the fact that we're getting for the first time in, I don't know, since the late uh 18th century mercury conjunct pluto and aquarius mars conjunct pluto and aquarius venus conjunct pluto and aquarius because even though the sun and pluto um moved into aquarius together their exact conjunction was in the last minute of capricorn right so they didn't right. actually perfect their conjunction um <clears throat> and so from the and this this is from the like the, the astrologer good perspective, right? Is oh, what does it do? Right? What does Mercury conjunct Pluto and Aquarius? What does it do in the world? Also, what does it feel like? Um, from my perspective, I have um I have Venus very early in Aquarius. And so I want to know what Pluto going over my Venus is going to do. And so seeing it activated by all of these planets is you know going to give me a much better idea of what to look forward to what to brace for what to dread silently you know etc cetera, etc cetera. um you know forewarned is forearmed or whatever um and i'm just interested you know that's part of my relationship to astrology at this point i think a lot of astrologers relationship to astrology it's like okay i see a thing it comes in this time frame like let's let's get on with it. let's see what it is right and so there's a lot of getting to see what like uh getting uh getting uh i should say a a better look at what pluto and aquarius is going to do right because there's pluto by itself but you know in order to understand Pluto being in a place for 20 years, it's really 
how does Pluto being there interact with everybody else? Like we've got a new member of the ecosystem, right? How does the, you know, the mad scientist or what, however, whatever the Terminator Cyberdyne systems model, whatever, like how does that interact with everything else? Like that's, that's the answer we need, or those, are, that's the set of answers that we need in order to think yeah. about the future ac accurately. And this is going to be our first time seeing that because a year ago Pluto went into Aquarius, but it went in in like March or something. So a lot of some of the planets had already passed through Aquarius, and we didn't get the same set of conjunctions. Whereas this year yeah. we're going to get those conjunction, and it's going to be a preview of conjunctions we're going to be experiencing for the next like twenty years, especially with these inner planets, where once a year the Sun's always going to conjoin. Pluto and Mercury is going to do it. And then Venus every what year and a half or something. And then Mars every couple of years. This is the first time that we're going to see those conjunctions in Aquarius. And it'll be really insightful as a preview into a lot of the energies we're going to be, we're going to see expand and unfold over the next 20 years. Cause it's kind of like the first time you hear like on wind chimes, like if you strike a wind chime and you hear just like one note, um, but then you imagine over a long enough period of time hearing that same note struck you know, 20 times over the course of the next 20 years. And get, and by the end of that, you're really familiar with what that sounds like. Mm -hmm. But this time, this is our first time like hearing that note struck, um, especially in that specific part of our chart in terms of looking at it personally, like what houses, uh, what house does Aquarius coincide with and what house are all these planets going to be transiting through? But then on a mundane level, you know, what does that sound like in terms of world events the first time that that note is struck? Yeah. And, you know, uh, during that preview period last year, uh, Q2, the only planet that can join Pluto while Pluto was in Aquarius was the moon. It's all we've had. We mm. have an, no Mercury, no Venus, no Mars, um, obviously no Jupiter, Saturn, no Sun. Like we haven't had a, a we've had one, we've had one planet do a conjunction. So there's like, there, or, you know, um, yeah, it's one note being played, one of the seven notes on the instrument of Pluto and Aquarius, or I don't know, one of seven players picking it up and tootling on it. Yeah, tootling. That's a good word. I haven't heard that. That's the first time on the podcast, but I like that. It, well, it's a wind instrument, obviously, right? Maybe it's about, that's true. Um, like that's one of true. those deep, resonant, like doomy horns. Yeah, I like that. Okay. Um, well, speaking of that, that's actually really good imagery for basically our very first transit of the month, which is um, Mercury, basically within just the first few days, makes that ingress um, out of Capricorn and goes into Aquarius where it immediately conjoins Pluto. So Mercury is the first of the bunch that's going to hit Pluto on um, the 4th and the 5th of February. Um, and form that conjunction. So it's the first one where we're going to really start to get an idea of what that energy is all about. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Mercury-Pluto conjunctions and what some keywords are when it comes to that. Um, I know in the past we've seen events like um, investigations, like Pluto's good at getting to, digging in deep and getting into the bottom of things, and Mercury has a natural curiosity of wanting to like look into and understand and report things. So I know in the past with different Mercury-Pluto combinations, we've had like exposés of, of reporters doing a deep dive into something and like revealing something where there's been like an uncovering of something. Yeah, it's very, um, it's very, Mercury-Pluto is very like info dump. 
um, secret documents, un, you know, declassified or leaked. Um, there's also, <clears throat> you know, with Mercury, Pluto, there's this um, obsession with like secret pathways and hidden connections. Um, and, you know, obsession, of course, is always a Pluto word. Um, but there's, you know, with Mercury, it's that it's that like, it's that finding the real truth or what's really going on or finding proof of the thing. Um, and as with other, you know, again, as, as with Pluto generally, but especially with Mercury, um, there's this dynamic of get of trying to go of going deeper and deeper to try to find out what's really happening, or in, maybe in Aquarius's case, uh, with Pluto and Aquarius, uh, the what will really happen, um, and getting totally lost in the, you know, the catacombs, the labyrinth of service tunnels and wires and routers, and you know, like getting getting lost in the the depth, the complexity of the depths. Yeah. That, that impulse of Mercury-Pluto to delve into hidden truths and to see mm -hmm. the deeper meanings in things, you know, in its highest expression, it's like that reporter um, who's like following a case of like a trail for like 20 years or that like police detective that's like trying to solve a case for 20 years and has this hunch and just like follows it through until eventually mm -hmm. they're vindicated and it turns out they're right and all of their you know, intense focus and determination to get to the truth pays off. Um, and then it's like that other, the other side of that is that person that becomes obsessed, so obsessed with the idea of something and that they've, they've found a hidden truth that is being like um, locked up or is, is being hidden away from people that's being suppressed, that they, they get sort of fixated or obsessed on something that they can't let go of. Um, and it turns out in some instances to not necessarily be true so that it becomes not a healthy or positive thing. Um, but you see both sides of that coin when it comes to Mercury Pluto. Yeah, it's very uh, Rust Cole from True Detective. Uh, for those of you who have seen that, I keep telling you to watch season one. I know. Detective. I'm sorry. You mentioned it. it. I just well, immediately. Um, the character like Rust Cole has a Mercury Pluto conjunction. I guarantee it. Uh, okay. he's, he also is a his worldview is also um sort of psychedelic nihilist um but yeah the that like I, I was through... thinking of the zodiac was the one i was thinking of the david fincher film where um there's one guy that like has like a an idea like one detective that has an idea like the entire time of who the killer is um but yeah they never fully apprehend him because he like dies before they arrest him yeah there's this um sort of noir gumshoe getting lost and changed by by pursuit of uh of the truth um it's sort of like if you take the the nietzsche quote the, like if you stare long enough into the abyss the abyss stares back into you but it's like if you research the abyss long enough if you study the abyss right if you're assigned the case of the abyss if you study the abyss long enough the abyss starts studying you um and you too are changed by that for sure um all right so what other ideas do we have here so there's like taboo subjects can sometimes come up um and sometimes that can be good sometimes that can be bad since it's happening in aquarius there might be a technological component to it or like mm -hmm. a, a social component to it um a scientific component to it actually would make a lot of sense the the scientific bent to aquarius has become much more clear over the past several years after Saturn went through Aquarius and also with, with Pluto in Aquarius here. 
Yeah, there may be some contribution to the potential cosmological crisis that Pluto and Aquarius has in store. You know, that that's happened before with Pluto and Aquarius. Um, you know, like one, so one of the one of the things that Pluto Mercury Pluto can do is uh, is also negate information. Like you find out that this whole thing is is fake, or this whole like this whole set or this whole way of thinking is based on a falsified data set, or you know, et cetera. And that that's part of that that sort of obsessive truthiness <laughs> of Mercury Pluto, right? It's not just finding true things; it's also discovering that things are not valid or true. Yeah. And that's actually even more relevant here now that you mentioned that side of things, because um, even though it doesn't go exact, like Jupiter is only at like seven degrees of Taurus early in the mm -hmm. month. So it's still pretty closely squaring Pluto. Um, so what we have also tied in with this is a Jupiter Pluto square and Jupiter has to do with like truth and knowledge. And I know back when we had the repeated Jupiter Pluto conjunctions, um, in 2020, there was a lot of um, debates about like like truth and knowledge, and and sometimes um, like good versions of that of people trying to get to the truth or get to the bottom of things, and other times the more tricky side of that, which is um, for lack of a better word, like like conspiracy theories or becoming becoming obsessed with an idea of that something's being suppressed or controlled or manipulated, even if that's not necessarily true, or even if there's like a more simple explanation for something. Yeah. Or right. Realizing that things are always being suppressed, controlled, manipulated, and then having that drive you crazy and coming to the wrong conclusion. Right. Or, or because, not real. Yeah. Like, be like, Oh my God, there's manipulation. And then jumping to, like the wrong conclusion based on that encountering some of these um i would say historically constant <laughs> barriers to the truth and then getting you know getting uh, having one's thinking deformed by that or not realizing that the supposed like idea or conspiracy that you become um obsessed about is actually a form of control itself uh, yeah. and ma yeah. man manipulation that's being used against you even though you're under the premise that you think you've you've found the truth to something yeah yeah and that that's exactly the kind of like the, the now we're getting into the paranoid this is real but actually uh, i learned this was fake which made me buy into this other fake thing but then you know like that's that's the that's definitely like that's pluto mercury energy right it's like well this is true like if this is untrue then the opposite must be true oh no that was a trick too but i can't go back to my original position like deeper deeper down yeah it becomes like recursive um the last thing that this makes me think of is i saw like a notice recently that was sent out by like an antivirus company that was talking about how they think that like ai is going to be used in order to leverage things like digital blackmail as well as AI is going to be used to create um, bigger and harder like computer viruses or to disable um, software antivirus and things that are meant to protect people online digitally. So this could be like an interesting early preview of that with like a Mercury conjunct Pluto just because Mercury and um, Aquarius especially has that digital component, whereas Pluto can sometimes be the underworld and what is the underworld in a digital or internet context it can sometimes be like 
hackers um, or people that are like up to no good when using um, computers and technology? Yeah, and I would um, I, I I would say that if um, that makes me think of the Mars conjunction with Pluto, which happens a week later, and Mercury will still be in the same sign, and so um, once we get to the thirteenth, and we've got Mars Mercury in Aquarius with Pluto and the Sun, um, and so I you know again one of the things I want to know about because it's going to happen I'd rather know sooner than later is what does what does Pluto in Aquarius as threat look like right and that um some <clears throat> should we say like ai boosted um computer viruses or using drones for nefarious purposes or you know or whatever um like some sort of leverage of this the um, this newly emerging fringe of technological applications for um to do harm seems like that's like that's going to happen it's like the 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 fake Biden thing like that was always going to happen so let's see what it is and so the Mercury Mars with Pluto seems like that um, it seems like we'll at least get a taste of of what that looks like and what what form the destroyer will take during this <laughs> this twenty year period yeah well and, and Pluto amplifies things that are smaller that are pre existing and like blows them up into much larger things or takes them to a uh, much further extent or to their utmost extreme. Um, so even if there's things that already existed prior to this or or concepts or things that were done, um, Pluto's just going to magnify and take it to its utmost extreme in terms of versions of manifestations of that. It makes it, it actually reminds me, there was one thing that I mentioned in the Pluto and Aquarius episode, as well as like maybe in the year ahead forecast about Pluto and Aquarius. And one of my keywords for it was like, cataclysmic events that cause an irreversible shift in intellectual and social trends and like i was like throwing out just random ideas like you know what if there was like some major thing that like knocked out part of the internet of the entire internet how would that affect society or things like that um but a, an event that i found like right after i recorded that episode that was in a pluto and aquarius period was um the destruction of um the city of of pompeii um, during the Roman period happened early in a Pluto and Aquarius period where you had like a volcano go off and had it just like decimate and completely bury this ancient Roman city that then was just like gone for, for centuries. Although interestingly with that, the fact that it was buried suddenly and then later it was like rediscovered. And as a result of that, like researchers and archaeologists have been learning a lot about Roman society and like customs and things like that by digging this city up and like finding, you know, how it was set up and how it worked because it was so much, it was preserved by that. And in addition, recently people have been developing technology to read some of the ancient scrolls that were um, solidified um, by the volcanic ash and stuff but some of them were preserved so they can't be unrolled because they would just immediately disintegrate. But now they're starting to use x-rays x-rays, so they can read some of those scrolls. So there's this like additional Pluto component to it as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Anyway, just want to mention but, that. Yeah. But yeah. And then, right. The, uh, so again, the Mercury leading into the Mars um, and between the two, we have the new moon in Aquarius, which is worth, worth mentioning. Oh, yeah, is it, let's talk is it the, on the eighth, ninth, it's the ninth, right? 
It is the ninth, yes. So this is a new moon at 20 degrees of Aquarius, and the closest configuration to it, interestingly, is a square with Uranus, which is going to be at 19 degrees um, of Taurus at that time. So there's this interesting sort of like disruptive component to it or unexpected component to this new moon. Yeah, there sure is. And <clears throat> at the risk of uh, sounding like a broken record, um, you know, like this is the first new moon in Aquarius with Pluto there, right? And so a new moon is this, you know, is the the sun and the moon having their, their monthly operations meeting, um, like uh, about how things are going to go for the next month. And they do one, generally they do one in each sign per year. Right. So this is the yearly sun moon conjunction in Aquarius. What are things like in Aquarius? What is there to be done? What has happened? You know, just sort of an assessment. And so this is the first of, I don't know, 20 meetings that will occur with Pluto in the sign. And so we have both of the luminaries, you know, sweeping, sweeping beams across this territory that now contains Pluto. Um, you know, again, I think with a little a little attention um this uh, february can be really useful for people or uh, for people so that they can orient to what you know uh orient to this particular component of the next 20 years because it's just you know we get a little we get a very brief pop back into uh, into capricorn uh in q3 or q4 this year but that's that's the anomaly like it's basically like this is going to be part of the next two decades and so um the sooner you get figure out what you're going to do with that what it means um the better right yeah for sure um i think the uranus square adds this um feeling of like sudden emotional shifts that'll be prominent around the time of this new moon yeah um possible drives for like independence or like freedom is often a very intense feeling but it's going to be amped up with pluto also being co-present in the sign at the same time um there's going to be feelings of like lim of liberation um but also a need to try to learn how to manage volatility because uh, pluto and uranus when they're configured bring a sense of volatility especially emotional volatility um and i think that's going to be present with this new moon at the same time yeah i mean we in some ways we have um yeah, so we have the the square to Uranus, which is the, you know, with Uranus, it's always how do I how do I uh, break from the pattern, whatever my normal pattern is, how do I break from the pattern of the world to get something better, right? You know, that is the that is the the mindset of of rebellion or non-conforming is it'll be better than if I don't, right? Like I will have more freedom or more, more, more of what is desirable in life if I don't just go along with the program. Um, and so, you know, it's interesting because we have uh, with the, the sun and moon there with Pluto, that's kind of telling you a little bit about the, the real or the, what's, what the program is. And I don't mean that in like a, um, a, a secret world government, um, uh, way um i mean in an astrological way like what is the pluto what is the pluto and aquarius program and then uranus is like yeah it, coming from the square is offering something different or is suggesting something different like how do you do something else in order to 
mitigate what seem like the 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 downsides of the Aquarius stuff. And the, you know, in some ways, this is recreating the Aquarius Taurus tension from 2021, 2022, and the beginning of 2023 when it was Saturn in Aquarius, square Uranus in Taurus. Yeah. Um, one of the positive things about this new moon to balance out some of the erraticness or the instability of the Uranus square is Mercury's very closely applying to a square with Jupiter at the same mm -hmm. time that I think is going to complete within the same day or within the same 24 hours where Mercury is at seven degrees of Aquarius and it's applying to square Jupiter at eight degrees of Taurus. Um, so there's a little bit of an optimism and a little bit of an expansive quality to communications during this time. And sometimes with it, since it's a square, things can be like a little bit too optimistic or go a little bit overboard. Um, but ultimately, I think that energy um, being tied in with this new moon is, is a little helpful in stabilizing, especially since it's occurring just before we get the really intense ramp up of the Mars-Pluto mm -hmm. conjunction going exact just days later. Yeah, there's a sense with that Mercury-Jupiter connection of, oh, there are adaptations or, oh, there's a plan that navigates this and accomplishes that. Yeah, and it's just going to be emphasizing the um, Jupiter-Saturn sextile that is still present and is still one of our main outer planet aspects that was really dominating in January and is largely continuing through February, although um, it's going to get marred a little bit as soon as Mars goes into Aquarius because then it's going to start squaring uh, Jupiter, and that'll be one of our primary aspects of the very late part of February. Um, but here, at least with the early part of February, um, I like that we still have the the balance between the Jupiter-Saturn being emphasized and the tendencies towards growth and expansion versus consolidation being evenly balanced at this time. Yeah, it's a good it's a good anchor. Yeah. Um all right. So that is our new moon that's taking place on February 9th and then after that things start to shift. We get probably our most major shift of the month I would say because it's like first half of the month versus second half of the month is pretty much Mars's ingress into Aquarius. Yeah, um, I would say that's the most jarring moment of the month. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So that ingress takes place either late on the 12th or early on the 13th, depending on your time zone. Um, but then we get a Mars-Pluto conjunction. And this aspect is important in the broader scheme of things. This is our first hard aspect between... Mars and Pluto since the square that occurred back in um, October, I believe, that was the main aspect that we focused on that set up or set off so much stuff um, back then. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, like the Mars-Pluto, again, um, I'm looking for um, I'm looking for Mars's uh, Mars blowing on the Pluto bassoon <laughs> uh thank you comment section um you know when mar when mars tootles on the doom horn like what do we what what song gets played um because there are going to be probably 10 conjunctions uh between mars and pluto while pluto is in aquarius so let's see what it looks like and again 
um some of it some of it um some of it i would um <clears throat> i would assume would be military in nature um but with pluto you also see um for a uh, uh, for lack of a better word like underworld uh organizations um for like uh um cartels um uh isis like the you know the these kinds of um yeah these kinds of organizations and you know t quote unquote terrorists or murderers or you know like the um the sort of <laughs> whatever the cultural whatever the villain uh whatever title we're using for villains at a particular um point in culture and so um you know again pluto corresponds with that layer of the human world uh, among others and so with mars there i'm looking for the threats right um like you said they what does a what does the ai boosted computer virus look like what is the what does the cartel drone swarm do or you know what whatever it is um and then on a personal level you will probably not um find yourself in control of a cartel drone swarm or targeted um and so what um mars pluto does on a personal level is it brings up um uh hidden power dynamics in a person's life um in whatever area uh, whatever whatever house area of the chart it's in and it's worth knowing this is pluto in a new sign so it's the it's like stirring up power dynamics in a different area of life than you're used to we've been doing the um, stirred up power dynamics in the Capricorn part for a long time. But what does it look like in the Aquarius part? Yeah, for sure. Um, we have seen a lot of that with the Capricorn side. So it'll be interesting to see this version of it in Aquarius and maybe having that happen in a more digital sense, like a more digital realm or in a more social sense. But some of the keywords that we've used for that previously that have been really relevant for Mars-Pluto combinations are like power struggles and control, um, large acts of aggression, uh, obsessive behavior, uh, or even possessiveness, um, but also going too far or the ex excessive use of force mm -hmm. um, so that one of the, the, the antidotes to that or the things that usually we recommend or we advise during these periods is exercising self-control and awareness and caution so as to not go too far if you have like a, an aggressive reaction to something um, is a common thing that comes up in, in Pluto things because Mars is itself like the use of force and Pluto always takes things to extremes. So when when you combine those, sometimes you get you, either you're on the receiving end of that, or in other instances, if you're the one that's acting aggressively, sometimes there can be a tendency to go too far and to need to exercise some sort of restraint. Yeah, it's um, with Mars Pluto, Pluto can trigger the uh, sort of uh, uh, the struggle against annihilation feeling that like oh my god if i don't do if i you know that like the the fighting for your life response when it's not appropriate right which is exactly the the kind of fuel you need to massively overreact to things sure yeah although i mean sometimes it is needed or or i mean that that happens but for most of us most of the listeners you're probably not actually fighting for your life most of the time 
that emotional response get trigger gets triggered. And if you yeah. are actually fighting for your life, you'll probably have very clear confirmation of that. Sure. Yeah. Um, Pluto stuff sometimes also makes me think of there can be like the the <clears throat> Mars Pluto is like the stalker like aspect in terms of um, or it can be one of them. I mean, we'll also talk about like the Venus Pluto conjunction that can be re relevant to that as well later in the month, actually just a few days after this. Um, but that obsessive thing of that feeling of like, if there's somebody out there that's just like um, doing obsessive acts of aggression, but that it's something that's being done that's behind the scenes or that's subtle so that it's hard to fight against or hard to like um, negate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, that's one of our main, that's probably our most difficult aspect this month. I'm trying to think of other ones, but that's probably the one that has the greatest potential for being kind of tricky to navigate yeah yeah like that that takes some navigate that will probably take some navigation um to move through those days with grace yeah so unfortunately that's kind of coinciding with valentine's day because it's hitting on the 13th but it's still pretty much there on the um 14th so so be careful surrounding that in terms of interpersonal relationships and things and some of the dynamics that we've we've talked about here um, just now. Um, all right. So that takes us to related to that, which is our next major ingress, which is that Venus just days later by February 16th um, moves into Aquarius and then conjoins Pluto. So then we get a lot of the same energies that we've been talking about with Mercury and Mars uh, in terms of things of like intensity, obsession, um, sometimes taking really small things and making them really big things. And we bring it more directly into the realm of, of interpersonal relationships and love and um, interactions, social interactions between individuals much more directly. Yeah. Yeah. With, um, with Venus, Pluto, you get, um, you get extremes, uh, uh, you get like extremes of, uh, of affection and its negation um, where, you know, like, like you said, the, the stalker archetype, they're like, oh, you love me. You just don't know it yet. Right. Like that kind of creepy tunnel of thinking. Um, and then you also get the, uh, the frustration or, um, heartbreak of having, having, having affections or love just completely negated. You know, Pluto has that ability to just completely negate for a time. Yeah, and then for we, sure, and and the painfulness of the rejection of that, which is the double side of that coin, because that's also, um, yeah, one of the things sometimes with those extreme cases of the stalker scenarios where they're like hurt by something and then they pursue despite that, which is kind of kind of hard to deal with. Yeah, it's a uh, that that Mars Venus with Pluto period is certainly. Um, not helpful for Valentine's Day adjacent activities. <laughs> it's not it's not the energy we want, which um uh, goes on to confirm my years long quiet campaign to reschedule Valentine's Day to a more astrologically appropriate time. There's nothing right. uh, even as someone with Venus and Aquarius, I don't think there's anything particularly uh, romantic about the time when the sun's in Aquarius every year. You know, again, we should move it to the day that they hit that the sun hits the exaltation degree of Venus, 
which is unfortunately already St. Patrick's Day. But I think you, you're, you're saying we should move to you're saying we, you're arguing that we should move Valentine's Day to Pisces season roughly. And I feel like you're mm -hmm. a little biased there as a Pisces, I have to say. Dude, I've got Venus and Aquarius. I, I think Venus, I, I think Aquarius stuff is way sexier than most people. But uh, even so, it's just not good timing. Um, it's not a, it's not, it's not a passionate venue. Aquarius is not a passionate <laughs> Venusian sign. It's in fact reputed uh, to be the opposite. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to argue then for my sun sign and say Scorpio season would be the best place to move Valentine's Day. And it, it, to bolster that argument, I will point out that most um, people that are born during Scorpio season were conceived about eight to nine months earlier around Valentine's Day. I feel like you're making a case for my position. Okay. We'll we'll talk about this later offline. We'll get we'll, this will be a bonus episode. <laughs> All right. So, um going back to Venus Pluto, um other things there can be positive things. I mean, magnetic charisma and allure, having deep passionate connections with other people can be a bonus side of this um, you know, this this energy to give some like positive stuff. Sometimes like that feeling which can be a good feeling, even though we're focusing and noting, obviously, there can be unhealthy sides to that. The feeling of like being willing to almost like say that you would like die for somebody is very like Venus Pluto. Mm -hmm. Um, and certainly the terrifying, terrifyingly deep intimacy mm -hmm. and yeah. vulnerability for sure. Um, so there can definitely be good things to that, um, that we don't want to overlook. Uh, but yeah, just be careful about other sides of that attraction to toxic relationships, power struggles or manipulation through love or through attraction mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, and just setting healthy boundaries and communication, I think, can be very useful during this time, um, as well as just like awareness and self-reflection of like, am I going too far? Is this uh, you know, is this obsession warranted or wanted? Is this like a healthy um, a, uh, attraction or attachment to somebody? Or, you know, is this taking things a little bit too far? And sometimes that's hard, you know, with almost every transit, that's hard to analyze when you're right in the midst of it, like you're in the eye of the storm. Um, and sometimes it takes like getting some distance from the transit to really fully be able to assess that properly, but there's still good questions to ask yourself if you get like wrapped up in, in some world whirlwind thing at this time. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is that Venus and Mars do a conjunction not too much later, right? And so every time we have a Venus-Mars conjunction, it sets the stage a little bit for Venus-Mars things for the next year and year and stuff. Um, and so, you know, we have Venus, Mars conjoining at roughly six degrees Aquarius, um, conjunct Pluto square Jupiter. Um, I wonder if this is, I don't know, this is like the, if there will be numerous announcements about the next generation of sex robots or, <laughs> uh, or, you know, what the, what, what the, how this gets Pluto in, in Aquarius. Oh yeah, I mean that's I mean the, there's already debates about that cuz there's like people are companies are creating AI apps to be like relationship apps that people can go and talk to an AI and fall in love with and that's already raising like major debates and concerns about like the ethic 
whether that's ethical for these companies to be doing that and other things like that yeah yeah you get like uh yeah sex robots uh dating simulator waifu technology like that's kind of all there i think when we were talking about it on the yearly i uh, said so that this configuration reminded me of the name of a video game it's pretty good called lovers in a dangerous space time mm-hmm. um great cooperative game <laughs> maybe that's that's the safe thing to do uh during venus conjunct pluto is play lovers in a dangerous space time yeah i mean i do think it will be interesting let's actually pay attention to that for news store news stories yeah. i know there was one listener that sent me um a movie that was about that just came out close to pluto ingressing into aquarius and it was about ais falling in love um so it's interesting seeing that coinciding of that and yeah, I mean, there's going to be some interesting discussions about that over the next 20 years, uh, for sure. Like I've always thought that, um, but so it'll be interesting to pay attention to some early examples of discussions about that, of how um, themes of like love and relationships and um, uniting between two individuals or entities come up during this time and how that's sometimes mediated by technology and what happens when that's taken to its utmost sort of extreme yeah i'm sure though i'm sure we'll have some news stories by the time next month's uh, podcast rolls around for sure for sure all right so um that is all taking place the venus mars conjunction around the 21st and 22nd um is there anything else we wanted to mention about that about venus conjunct mars at this time I don't think so. I think we covered that it, it's it's very relational, and it's bringing all this Pluto. It's you know it's bringing all this Pluto and Aquarius stuff into the relational realm pretty immediately. Yeah. So so themes like assertiveness and initiation in love, um, having a strong sense of attraction and magnetism. Like there's a very uh, physical kind of like sexual component to Venus Mars conjunctions. It's like the classic. Uh, configuration that has to do with that um, and the sort of like give and take of a, of a passionate relationship um, but also like creativity and artistic expression is a notable Venus uh, Mars uh, manifestation as well so sort of like acts of creativity um, as well could be relevant during that time mm-hmm. um, but also people have to be careful about like impulsiveness and like hasty decisions in terms of relationships and interpersonal connections and um you know the desire to like rush into things without proper consideration yeah yeah absolutely um i'm also uh, just as a side note um um as a observer of the U- russo ukraine war um you know that began with a mars venus conjunction um, and this is a Mars-Venus conjunction in Aquarius, um, and uh, the chart for Ukraine has lots of things in Aquarius, including Venus. And so I'm, I'm just curious. And then the, the, the current Russian chart also has Saturn in Aquarius. And so I'm just, I, I, I'll just keep an eye on that. No strong predictions, um, but I, I think that that will, that will almost certainly indicates some meaning some shift that will be meaningful at least in retrospect but maybe uh, noticeable at the time 
Yeah. Thank, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's definitely still ongoing and relevant. And then another adjacent thing that came up when I did the Pluto and Aquarius episode was initially, I just thought it was like a one-off or, or two-off things in terms of how China kept coming up in the context of technology. But then I kept finding more and more instances of that with Pluto and Aquarius when I went back and did the full history and um, Nick Dig Invest actually was the one that ended up pointing out to me that I didn't know that we had a time chart for um, for China, for the current government of China that was founded in 1949 on an eclipse, um, which I did know about the eclipse because I found that in part two of the eclipses episode in November. I just did not know we had a time chart and it actually has Aquarius rising with the moon in Aquarius. So mm -hmm. China, so so Aquarius is actually very important for the current state of China. And so that's very interesting in terms of Pluto going to Aquarius and that becoming much more emphasized and relevant there for the next 20 years, but also some of the historical technological connections between China and Aquarius and um, the interactions with the West having to do with technology and sometimes the transfer of technology or sometimes issues of like power and control over technology between China and like other countries. Certainly. Well, and it's worth noting that the Sibley chart for the US also has an Aquarius moon. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's an so, interesting both connection between the two countries then in terms of a relationship, but also in terms of both having over the next 20 years, like a Pluto moon transit. Yeah. And it also speaks to their origin. You know, both the United States and the current regime in China um, were both big experiments that were conscious attempts to break with history. Right. That's a great point. Like ideological sort of governmental experiments on the one hand with like a, you know, democracy with the US and then on the other hand with with communism with with China. Yeah. And, you know, and again, not just let's try a new thing, but let's very consciously reject the previous thing. Right. Which is very Saturn, like Saturn rejects things. But with Aquarius, one of the differences when I did the Aquarius episode a, a year ago with Bear and Aaron um, is that we talked about how Capricorn as a as a feminine sign ruled by Saturn is a little bit more backwards looking. And mm -hmm. that's where you get some of the feelings of like conserving the past uh, or consolidating the past and what you have built up to this point versus Aquarius as a as a masculine sign or however you want to phrase that as a diurnal sign is more also oriented towards time, but it's oriented towards the future and like looking towards or envisioning like a better future. Yeah. Um, or just accurately predicting uh, a bad future to not get the worst from it. Yeah. I've taught Aquarius and Capricorn this way for years. The um, yeah, it's time, right? It, it's time in history, but it, um, you know, in, in one case you're looking forward and one you're looking back. You know, you're projecting out timelines, hoping things will work out a certain way, you know, according to plan in Aquarius, <laughs> right? Um, and then, you know, the weight of the past is there in, in Capricorn. And I think that's very borne out by Pluto's passage through Capricorn. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, and it's a also, lot of, go ahead. It also circles us back around to what we mentioned earlier in terms of the experimental disposition of Aquarius. It's partially due to that forward lookingness of it's like looking to the future and wanting to get there. Um, but sometimes its orientation towards that can be myopic in terms of not thinking about the what other implications there are that might come from that. 
Yeah, I mean, well, it for me, it really goes back. It, it all goes back to that experimental dynamic, because out of the experiment, we get these sort of positive narratives of like uh, of uh, the uh, grand discovery, moving closer to the truth. But then you also get like all of the horror. There's a whole horror subgenre that extends out of experiment, right? Like you get a uh, human centipede themed <laughs> uh you know you get uh frankenstein human centipede the horror like the horror of uh uh of the reign of terror in the french revolution like you know you get all of these like um you know you get the feeling of being experimented on like a lab rat right and that like both that and all the positive things that's just part of experiment and that's you know that's aquarius yeah yeah for sure the um Pluto and Aquarius thing that Lisa had originally seen of like Mary Shelley um, having Pluto in late Aquarius in the midheaven and then developing like Frankenstein and all of the philosophical implications surrounding that is something we talked about a lot in the Pluto and Aquarius episode. But yeah, then it was great. interesting is somebody pointed out that there's a movie on Frankenstein that's coming out soon, now, which is really striking now that Pluto is going back into Aquarius. Yeah, that's really good. Um, and, you know, if anybody's, you know, go, wants to go back and read the novel, right, Frankenstein, where is it, or the new Prometheus, um, the uh, the Frankenstein's monster, um, which a lot of the book is from the perspective of, is such a detached, melancholy, Aquarius existentialist, right? It's, you know, it's like pondering creation as the created um, the 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 created product of an imperfect creator, right? It's from the point of view of the experiment, which is the monster. Um, and right. anyway, I, I remember reading that and I was like, oh, this is really perfect. Like, it's just, it's not, it, like, it's kind of a horror book, but it's really like a lot of it is like kind of melancholy proto-existentialist thinking from the perspective of the monster as the, you know, as the 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 result of the experiment. Right, because the monster ends up being imperfect and not fully human and therefore is rejected by its creator, but then the creation gets angry at its creator of like, why why have you rejected me and what do I need to do in order to achieve your love, essentially? Um, and it's just, it's crazy because like, I think we're going to have some dynamics like that when it comes to AI of like, you've created an imperfect, humans create an imperfect being that achieves like some semblance of humanity and maybe it doesn't achieve full sentience or or what we consider to be human and therefore gets treated differently but like how does that work out and what does that dynamic or relationship become yeah yeah and then there's also yeah absolutely and then there's also just well, i don't know how should we say you know we're always creating new people including ourselves right as things change like we get you know we get formed by the world right and uh <laughs> we too are our our own um lab rats um and we don't always love the results for sure uh circling back around to venus conjunct mars wanted to mention yeah. a few <laughs> few, of the, <laughs> few of the keywords um no i love these digressions this is a good this good episode i like these discussions um so uh sometimes impulsiveness and hasty decisions in relationships can come up jealousy and possessiveness aggression and conflict in love is a pretty straightforward like delineation of mars conjunct venus to pay attention to as well as a sort of like attraction to drama and conflict 
So again, the antidote to this are things like self-awareness and healthy expression, um, balancing passion with reason um, can be really helpful during this time, as well as healthy communication and setting boundaries um, and maybe even having creative outlets um, in which to express some of that energy so that it doesn't get sort of bottled up um, at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's bringing us to the later part in the month and to our second lunation, which is, um, you know, the sun moves into Pisces. And when we can begin Pisces season on the 18th, which I have to mention, still the highest um, episode that I did of the Zodiac series is still Pisces season. I have to express some disappointment to my Scorpio brothers and sisters that um, Scorpio episode has not beaten Pisces yet. So I need people to still get on that and raise some of those numbers for those different signs because I am surprised that Pisces was the last episode I did and then it's just like blown all the others away. I'm not sure it may have had something to do with the guest, but we'll we'll have to see remains to be seen. No, it's, it's just the best sign. Okay. All right. Well, that's still up for debate. Let's see. Let's see how things go this year. So let's talk about this lunation. Let's talk about this full moon in Virgo that happens after Pisces season has begun. Yeah. And it's important because then um, the sun has moved into Pisces. Mercury has moved into Pisces, which is the ruler of this lunation. But they're all running into... Uh, our friend Saturn, which is at nine degrees of Pisces at this point. So this lunation is very much colored by a full moon that's opposite to Saturn. Um, and that as soon as the opposition goes exact with the sun, the moon then applies to the exact opposition with Saturn. So that's one of our main signatures for this full moon is the heaviness of that Saturn configuration. Although there's a little bit of mitigation because the moon is going to be trining Jupiter at 10 degrees of Taurus at the same time. And that may not be able to like fully offset Saturn, but um, certainly both of those energies are present in this lunation. Yeah. So this really, to me, this really, it, it, this really sort of, this seems like a, like a check-in with Saturn um, magnified, right? It'll, uh, as the, this occurs at the end of February, we will be approaching the year mark for Saturn and Pisces. Saturn moved into Pisces, I want to say the 7th of March of 2023. And so we're coming up on a year. And so to me, this asks the question, this is like, a, you're, this is sort of a forced review of how you're doing with Saturn and Pisces, right? Um, and so with Saturn, with the sun's conjunction to Saturn every year, it's a little bit like, project management audit it's also on an on an emotional level like how are you managing the weight right if 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 this if this particular period has you bearing more saturnian weight in one area of your life or another like how are you doing with that um with it being in pisces the two sort of situations or images that come to mind um, like if you are swimming, um, this is, you know, Saturn Pisces for some people, including those of us born with the sun and Mars and other things in Pisces, um, you know, it feels like, uh, doing laps in the pool, but with weights attached to you, 
right? We, a lot of times I, I use the like jogging with weights, mountain climbing with weights for, uh, for Saturn's effect. In this case, it's swimming with weights. Like, are you being pulled down? Um, or how are you managing to resist what, what buoyancy or what, yeah, what, uh, what, uh, what are you using to buoy yourself to balance out the downward pull um, on a more positive side with Saturn and Pisces, maybe fishing metaphor, like you've, you've hooked something tremendous, powerful with a lot of weight and are, are, are struggling with that. Like, how are you going to land um, this, this mighty fish? That's a great metaphor. Um, that makes me think of what, what this full moon makes me think of is how, when sometimes we're having really heavy stuff or obligations or other things that are slowing us down or dragging us down in one part of our life, which here is represented by the Pisces area of our chart and of our life, whatever house that coincides with, um, sometimes just by virtue of that area of our life, having greater gravity for a period of time, it can affect indirectly other areas of our life that then there's like tensions with or where it can kind of slow down at the same time. And I think that's part of what this full moon in Virgo is doing is it's highlighting to some extent how some of the changes and how some of the obstacles um, that are happening in the Pisces part of our chart is also causing some tension with the Virgo part of our chart and whatever house that coincides with. Mm -hmm. And this full moon's going to put more emphasis, but also kind of like shed some light on some of those tensions and ask us to see if there's a way that we can resolve some of them um, where maybe the Pisces stuff has has really demanded more of our attention lately over the past year, but we're sort of forced to um, look back at the Virgo era of, area of our chart exactly opposite to that and see if there's ways that we can bring um, balance to that or to redistribute the weight at the same time. Yeah, or just what are the, yeah, like you said earlier, what are the effects on Virgo land of the events that have been transpiring in Piscesville? And that's especially uh, true in this case because we have the ruler of Virgo, Mercury, with the Sun and Saturn in Pisces during this full moon. And this full moon is just a few days before um, a kind of rare, interesting, perfect three-way conjunction between the Sun, Mercury, and Saturn at nine Pisces. Um, and so, you know, it's, um, uh, like there's, there's a mercurial, how should we say there, there's a, what's going on here with, uh, Mercury moving to conjoin the sun, um, is that there's this, you know, purgation of the, the thinking and the communicating, um, in order to get to the right perspective, right. With Mercury, with Mercury, exactly conjunct the sun, the Kazemi point, um, you know, it's a clarity point in thinking and the positive, uh, as you say, the, the positive gains um, uh, during this period are usually negative in the sense that it's um, not thinking about it this way. That's not, that's not useful. And so in this case, it's like how it, this seems like it's a, there's a real focus on like how, like what perspective to take on the sat on Saturn and Pisces, like getting the right perspective, getting the right framework um, in order to move forward. And that having very, uh, very tangible, very real, clear effects on what's going on in the Virgo part of your, uh, the Virgo part of life. Yeah. 
like I know somebody who's had um, this in their fourth house recently at the Saturn transit, and there's been really heavy stuff in their home life and, and with their parents. But then as a result of that, they've had to put more attention on that the obligations of that and not been able to um, proceed as much as they would like in terms of their career lately because they've had to focus so much attention and responsibility on the home life. So um, there's probably other combinations of that so that people should think of their chart and think of what that axis is of houses between Pisces and Virgo is and how the Pisces stuff has been demanding more attention and obligation and probably will still continue to, because as Austin said, just a few days after this, we get the Sun-Mercury-Saturn conjunction in Pisces. So it's not like those obligations and that heaviness is going away, but occasionally we still have to like look back to what that's detracting from or causing us to move our attention away from. And sort of like check in on that other area of our life opposite to that from time to time to see if we can redistribute things at all at this point in, in that cycle. Yeah, this yeah, it's really it's very much like a management check-in. Like, okay, how are you managing what Saturn is doing? Because Saturn's gonna be doing that for more than another year. It's been doing it for a year. Like, how are how are you doing with this? Is there, you know, again, um, you know, if you're getting dragged down what what are what like can you add more life preservers can you you know are is there the equivalent of those adorable little water wings they put on kids like if you're if you're feeling like you're you're having a hard time managing the downward pull what what buoyancy what what buoyant things can you cling to or add uh to your situation yeah and that might be where the jupiter part of things comes in because yeah all all of these combinations you know the that full moon is taking place on the um 24th and then as you said a few days later uh we get the sun mercury saturn conjunction at nine degrees of pisces on like the 27th and 28th um but then that's also sextiling jupiter and as soon as mercury and the sun completes the conjunction with Saturn and gets that check-in and that um, re-emphasizing of the Saturn component of conservation and obligation and obstacle, uh, but also long-term work and perseverance, um, immediately after that, you get the check-in again with Jupiter, which is the sextile to Taurus and the sort of like more growth and expansion and optimism of that configuration so all of this is just emphasizing the uh jupiter saturn sextile itself and the attempt to balance between growth versus consolidation um but it's first going to emphasize the saturn bit and then the jupiter bit yeah yeah um right so right the the growth versus consolidation or expansion versus contraction um again like lift buoyancy versus the you know the uh the, the pull of gravity yeah exactly um and it's a good time for that check-in as well because while saturn's gonna stay you know in pisces for a while for another couple of what well, year or two um, Jupiter at this point is going to start picking up steam after February and it's going to zoom out of Taurus by May and June. So um, this is the early bit of the year where we have a nice balance between those two areas to some extent and, and can attempt to rebalance them a little bit more than at other times. Whereas by the second half of this year, we're going to be running into more tension and more conflict with the 
growth versus consolidation energies when those two planets move into a square? Yeah, they're they're even though the the two planets have in many ways opposing forces, they're um, they're at a position where those two can be connected, right? Again, like the um, the weight versus the buoyancy. Whereas when Jupiter moves into Gemini, it's more like um, you know gyrocopter versus submarine. Like it's you you can't combine those two vehicles into a cool double vehicle. Like the like the two directions are are too uh, too uh, too stark in their contrast. Whereas the this particular arrangement, Jupiter and Saturn uh, have the it's uh, we have the opportunity to bring both elements in and integrate them much more smoothly. Uh, also, one final That's thing, fun. just because we were talking, um, we we talked earlier about um global uh, uh seafaring trade routes um this seems like it also points towards trade route stuff not necessarily um an attack but like you know if one of the ongoing saturn and pisces concerns is global is sea lanes for trade um this is a lot of focus on saturn with mercury right mercury who's our um are the the resident merchant of the solar system um and then with the sun focusing on that too i, I would look for announcements plans ideas uh, projections around um uh, uh seaborne trade around this time yeah that would make sense it's like something gets stuck or slowed down um, because of the intense focus on saturn with mercury and the sun there and, and kind of mm. like pu publicized because Mercury puts things on blast, but then it's like it gets unstuck not long afterwards when everything runs into Jupiter. And so there's an attempt to look at how to resolve something and how to move, make things start moving again more freely. Um, yeah. And tied in with all of this is the Mars-Jupiter square that we haven't mentioned, I don't think yet, mm -hmm. which is February 26th and 27th, which is happening basically around this, this entire time period. Yeah, it's kind of... When the, and that's uh, that's interesting and uh, slightly problematic in the sense that we, you know we've been talking about the um, Jupiter sextiling Saturn and Jupiter offering this positive or brilliant counterpart to to Saturn, but mm -hmm. Jupiter's kind of under attack. Yeah, right now. There, there's something getting in the way of the help. Like help is on the way, but then help has its own has its own battles to fight. Yeah, there's some sort of potential for conflict there. Um, Mars Jupiter can be very like risk taking. Um, so in a like a personal life thing, it can be people taking risks or venturing outside of their comfort zone. Um, sometimes the positive side that with that can be like increased just energy and enthusiasm, um, but a tendency to unbalance things like pretty quickly. Um, and especially because Mars is earlier in zodiacal order and it's overcoming Jupiter, mm -hmm. typically from like an ancient standpoint, that's delineated as like the the conflict side of things or the warlike side of things overcoming and getting the upper hand over the the peaceful side of things or the more balanced side of things that things yeah. suddenly get more like fiery for a period of time where the because one of the reasons why Mars was delineated as a malefic in ancient times is they said that it has a tendency towards being excessively fiery, whereas the benefics like Jupiter and Venus tend towards moderation. 
So sometimes somehow the excessively fiery tendencies getting the upper hand at this time towards the later part of February. Yeah, it looks disruptive. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, if, if we're looking at, you know, Jupiter in Taurus is like trying to keep the spice flowing. Um, and Mars in Aquarius is very much like outsider or rogue, um, uh, outsider rogue forces um, in a uh, in in an angle on the stability, uh, the st stability privileging Jupiter in Taurus. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's interesting. But yeah, I would I would also I would look at those uh, those global trade uh, choke points around that time i'd be very surprised if there aren't um important developments and i think it uh, again i don't think that saturn and pisces is only interested in the red sea um i think that you know there are a half dozen choke points which are um probably relevant will be active and activated during these periods yeah or maybe for some people maybe the choke part is in your heart and oh. that's what we'll need to exactly We'll have to explore. Um, so other positives in terms of personal stuff uh, with Mars Jupiter can just be increased motiv motivation in a positive sense, taking bold actions and achieving ambitious goals, I think is some of the most positive manifestations of how that could work out. The negatives though are things like impulsiveness, being overconfident, um, being reckless, or taking on too much like rushing into something that turns out to be much bigger than you you realized at first or than perhaps mm -hmm. you're able able to handle. Yeah, Mars the negative of Mars Jupiter can is the classic biting off more than you can chew. Right, exactly. Um, but yeah, it it it, it can yeah, it, but it can also be fun. It can be the um uh, like the willingness to take a risk, um to take a stab at something to, you know, um yeah, uh, to boldly venture forth. Yeah, I mean, sometimes there's some things in our lives where it's only because we didn't know how big that project is and we didn't have a full idea of the scope of what that would entail and then we just like dove into it. Um, it's only because of that impulsiveness or that that boldly walking into an area that we hadn't discovered before. Um, it's only because we don't know the scope of it that we did that thing and in the end, it ends up being way more work and way more of an overburdening thing than maybe we realize it would be. And maybe we wouldn't sign up for that if we knew, but sometimes that can work out for the best. And sometimes it's like, sometimes there's some things that's better that you don't know going into it. So you don't realize how overwhelming it is, but you can still accomplish great things having done that. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes boldness is more important than accurate intelligence and then sometimes not so much yeah sometimes boldness gets stuff done in the world and there's you know that's something we learn a lot from our, our mars people and from like our aries people especially you know the 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 one that's like first to do something the one that's like the first in the breach or what have you yeah um <laughs> Yeah, that, maybe that's not. Things a good actually analogy. don't do don't go that great. Uh, those first, are first the in the breach, the front lines of armed conflict. But I, I, I think we all know where you're going. Sure, the pioneer or like the explorer, the intrepid explorer who, you know, is the first to go out and do something from their own like courage or boldness. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. All right. Um, that's really we're super late in the month at this point and bringing and it, us. It's to... a leap month. Okay. It's kind of fun. Uh, or it's a leap year, and therefore, um, therefore, we have an extra day in February. So that conjunction on the 28th of February is actually not the end of February. It's one more day in which, you know, the configuration is basically the same. <laughs> nice. Oh, just a, slightly past. There's a 29th. Okay. That's cool. That's good to know. Um, Looking at other configurations here. Mars is coming off the square of Jupiter by the 29th. The moon goes into Scorpio and squares Mars and opposes Jupiter. But I'm seeing like, we're seeing previews and echoes of things coming up. Like all these planets in Pisces are headed towards Neptune next month in March. And we can see that by the end of February, Jupiter is within eight degrees of its conjunction with Uranus. So that mm -hmm. Jupiter-Uranus conjunction is really starting to heat up at this point by late February. And we know that that will go exact in uh, late April, I believe, right? Yeah, I think it's um, or is yeah, it May. I mean, no, I think it's up? late April. Uh, I, I want to say the twentieth or something. I don't know. It's definitely late yeah. April. Yeah, yeah, it's the twentieth. You're right. Um, okay. But yeah, so just a little like overview comment. Um, so you know, a lot of this month is just um, a ton of stuff in Aquarius. We've still got plenty in Aquarius by the time the month ends. We've still got Mars, Venus, and Pluto. And so even though we emphasize the initial ingress of Mars and Venus in their conjunctions with Pluto and 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 also their exact conjunction, they're still together in Aquarius um, for not just the rest of February, but for much of March. Um, but by the time you know we're in this last portion of the month, we've got we've really got our, our focus split between those three planets in Aquarius and four planets in Pisces, right? Yeah. Which is actually quite a bit. You know, if you saw nativity, if you looked at this as a nativity, like there's a lot going on in Aquarius and there's a lot going on in Pisces. Um, they're reasonable stelliums um, uh, on their own. Yeah. So really pay attention to, especially in the first half of the month, most of the month, the Aquarius part of your chart and most of the activity taking place in that house and in that area of your life. And then once we get later in the month to the shift to the Pisces sector of your chart and what's happening in Pisces with you know, a brief sort of interlude when you get that full moon in Virgo that's really emphasizing the opposite side of the chart from Pisces and whatever yeah. that house is. But those are like the three main active signs this month. Yeah. Yeah. And what is all this Pisces stuff doing to poor Virgo? Right. Yeah. Uh, Virgo is getting the short end of the stick uh, during this time to some extent and getting the opposition and the tension aspects from all of the Pisces stuff. You know, it's wild though, is when um, Neptune goes into Aries here in the next couple of years, we're all all of a sudden we're going to be in a period where Neptune's not in Pisces, and more importantly, it's not opposing everything in Virgo for like the first time in a decade. And I think that's going to be a pretty interesting shift to get back to a more rounded period in Virgo history where Virgo is <laughs> able to able to be like much more grounded and much more methodical and clear headed than. Um, it has for a while where it's been just getting hit with this opposition from Neptune over the course of the past decade. 
Yeah, I think that's a very safe assumption. I remember some years ago when Neptune opposed my Saturn and Virgo, it was so hard to Saturn. It was so hard to keep things organized and on track. Um, you know, my my attempts at discipline at the time required four times as much energy and were half as effective. The, uh, the Neptune and Pisces has definitely <laughs> um, made life harder for almost every single degree of Virgo. Got a few more left to go, but most of it's most of it is in uh, it, uh, starting to recede into the rear view mirror. Yeah, you know that actually, actually that just reminded me. I was thinking of elections because elections are really rough. The past decade, when you try to do a Virgo election, which is supposed to be very grounded and very clear when you put Mercury and Virgo on the ascendant, but oftentimes we've been having to deal with this opposition from Neptune at the same time, which you know changes the nature of the election. Um, I just remembered, though, that that brings me to the election of the month, which I completely hmm. spaced out and didn't mention, and that's actually towards the very beginning of the month. So let me pull up a chart for that. Do it. All right, so our election this month is actually very early in the month. It's on February 6th, um, February 6th, around, around 8.10 a.m. or 8.10 in the morning local time. So set it to 8.10 roughly. Don't change time zones or anything like that. You're going to set it to 8.10 your time, and you're going to end up with something close to about 11 degrees of Pisces rising. So you end up with an electional chart where Pisces is rising and the ruler of the ascendant is Jupiter, which is down here in the third whole sign house in a day chart. So this is a chart that's somewhat geared then towards communication uh, and other third house topics as a result of that third house emphasis with the ruler of the ascendant. So the moon is up here in Capricorn. It's an early Capricorn in our time zone, and it's applying within 13 degrees to a trine with Jupiter, which is a nice little case of bonification of the moon. Um, this chart really emphasizes the sextile with Jupiter and Saturn and kind of baking this into the chart. It does involve putting Saturn very close to the ascendant with Saturn having just risen, but this is mitigated by the fact that it's a day chart so that Saturn is more constructive and is less malefic. And also because you still have this nice sextile with Jupiter as the ruler of the ascendant back to Pisces and back to Saturn with reception since Jupiter, uh, since Saturn is in uh, Jupiter's sign. And that really helps to take some of the edge off of Saturn. So even though there'll still be some of those qualities of Saturn by putting it in the rising sign and, and putting it close to the ascendant of like seriousness of, um, uh, sort of dispassionateness to some extent, um, it'll be balanced out in a, in a very positive and constructive manner in terms of balancing those themes of growth and expansion versus consolidation. That's really the, the key for this chart. Um, the chart does have Mars in the 11th house in a day chart, so it might not be great for friends and groups and alliances and the possibility for some conflict there. So I wouldn't use it as a major 11th house chart if that's what you're trying to start. But otherwise, with Jupiter in the third house, I think it would be good for communication, for things having to do with your neighborhood, um, which is a third house thing, uh, sometimes education or learning, um, other things related to like relatives. What are some other like third house activities I'm, I'm spacing out, Austin? 
Oh, I mean, whatever, whatever your weekly schedule is, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, uh, creating schedules, um, you know, going about regular duties, um, going through uh, communications, answering emails, doing responses. Um, uh, let's see. Oh, um, chatting with siblings. Yeah, um, sibling relating things. Um, Karina in the live chat says starting a daily practice. I think that's a really good one. And it is actually really good here because that would bring in the third house component with Jupiter, but also the first house component with Saturn, because Saturn is good at um things that build up slowly over time and things that take repetition and like working towards something for an extended period of time rather than having immediate gratification. Yeah, so this is our electional chart of the month. It's our our auspicious election. Um, Lisa Scheim and I are researching. We've got a bunch of other charts for February, and we're getting ready to record our monthly auspicious elections podcast for patrons, which we'll, re- we'll record and release sometime in the next few days here. So you can get access to that um, by going to our page on Patreon. And otherwise, um, we also have our 2024 electional astrology report still where we picked out charts for the next 12 months. So if you're looking for long-term elections for the next year, uh, you can find out more information about that at theastrologypodcast.com slash 2024 report. All right. So that is the election for February. And that's kind of it for the astrology for February. That's kind of bringing us to the end of this month. Um, Somehow we did it in a solid two hours, two hours and fifteen-ish minutes. That's a that's a it pales in comparison to what our four-hour year ahead forecast. Yeah. Um <laughs> yeah, yes, it does. Yes, it uh, does. Okay. Well, um, this was a lot of fun. This is good. I yeah. like this. I'm glad that we're back to, you know, we had a lot to pack into the year ahead forecast and we tried to cover everything so now it's nice to go in and and do the deeper dive into these individual months now that we're starting to experience them but also now that we're only like a month into the year we're already starting to see the manifestation of a lot of the energies and a lot of the things that we predicted in the year ahead forecast so it's already fascinating to start to see the year unfold and to see the fulfillment of some of those things already at this stage yeah i'm really excited to see to watch this action-packed first episode of the first season of Pluto and Aquarius. You know, I think yeah. I think it's going to set a lot of plots plot lines up. I think we're going to get to meet some of the characters. <clears throat> um right. been there's going to be been like looking forward to it. There's going to be like that weird character that's introduced that you're not sure about but then eventually they become a much bigger character to the plot line in the long term. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, and with yeah again with Mercury, Mars, Venus, um, all sorts of different implications, um, lots set in motion. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. Um, I like the idea that this is like this is like the pilot episode for mm-hmm. Pluto and Aquarius this month. Yeah, we got like we got some behind the scenes footage. We got some we got a little bit of a sizzle reel last year. We got the trailer, um, but this is the actual first episode. Like the plot is now in motion. Yeah, now we're getting to the, as I said, the actual flying cars and robots walking around San Francisco part of history, and this is really happening. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how it goes and to experience it together as astrologers and to continue to both document things in real time as it's happening and and talk about the astrology um, and and also 
just note how well it's working out and then also try to anticipate and look ahead to the future mm-hmm. continually as we always do in these episodes. Yeah, I mean, every everything we learned this month, we, we can then plug into what we know about what Pluto is going to be doing in the many years to come. And so, and I guess that's part of the reason I'm excited is like, it's, you know, we, you can have <clears throat> the out, like the equation for something, but until you actually have a value for the different variables, you can't actually make a prediction. This will be like filling in uh, some of those variables. So you can actually start doing, doing a little future math. Yeah. I, w- I was talking to like some students of mine doing a Q and a recently from a Hellenistic astrology course. And we were talking about that and just the that astrology works better and it is often context specific. And the more you know about the context, the better you can get then at trying to predict the outcome um, because the archetypes themselves are so broad and there's so many innumerable number of possible manifestations of different combinations um, that you have to know what the context is that you're applying the astrology to. And once you do, you can then do a better job of actually predicting what you're talking about because astrology allows you to figure out the the trajectory of something but you first have to establish what you're you know doing the trajectory of but the more context you get the more you can fine tune and continue to specify the prediction more and more um and there's something about that reciprocal relationship that's very important yeah absolutely yeah um at the risk of oversimplifying the um, beautiful dialectic between theory and practice or experiment and evidence or experiment and data. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. Um, all right. So speaking of February, what do you have going on? Um, what's coming up for you in February? I know there's like okay. a big, there's a big looming thing coming up pretty soon. Yeah, that's, here. that's in March. Um, okay. <laughs> February is the last month um yeah the the last month before the the life changer uh crawls out of kate's body into our shared reality that's um, a beautiful way to describe childbirth i appreciate that yeah i'm a really good husband yeah. um <laughs> um no but uh yeah so let's see um i'm working on working desperately on 36 faces trying to get that second edition done uh, you can go to my website. I've got a ton of, uh, I've got, I don't know, scores of hours, uh, probably over a hundred hours worth of lectures and classes uh, available for purchase and instant download. Um, I'm not doing readings right now, but I do have, there's a section of the website for all the people who somehow made it through my three-year program and then graduated. Uh, a lot of them do readings. So if you want somebody who I spent years trying to teach how to do the things that I know how to do. Uh, those are all the, the, the people who've accomplished that are all up on the website, um, book a reading with them. Um, there's a, a delightful series coming out from Sri and Sundry that I elected and had some imp- a fair amount of input on. It's a moon and Taurus series. It's moon conjunct Jupiter and Taurus it should be delightfully stabilizing, um, chocolatey, rich chocolatey stability um, is what I'm hoping the flavor will taste like. Um, that's coming out, I don't know, next couple of weeks. And then with Sphere and Century, um, pre-orders for Thema Mundi close again on the 13th. So the Mars-Pluto conjunction is going to shut that down. So yeah, go to Sphere and Sundry. Um, watch for the Jupiter moon stuff go to my website 
there's a ton of stuff there. Pray for me um, while I, 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 I attempt to lock myself in a writing uh, cell and get those deckings done. Got to get it done. You're at the threshold of fatherhood, about to, to walk across that doorway here. Um, definitely get that book done so people can stop emailing me about it. Oh my God. Uh, I'm looking I appreciate forward to the, it. I appreciate slash hate the enthusiasm. Um, yeah. I would no, like to just thing. get it done so we never have to talk about it again. Right. Uh, well, no, once the book gets done, we're going to hassle you about a new project, the writing, writing another book. Well, that's um, fine. I'm, I'll be excited about writing a new book. Okay. Rewriting right. a book that I wrote 10 years ago and being disappointed in how stupid I was 10 years ago is um, the thing I'm, I'm, I'm ready to be done with. I still remember when you were first writing the book and we were at a conference and you read me the set the one for my deck in and it was such a oh, great, yeah. de great delineation i still think about that and i got an early preview of that i feel very very blessed oh, um nice. all right your urls austincopic.com and spheranesundry.com yep cool all right people should check that out put a link i'll put a link in the description below this video on youtube or on the podcast website for this episode as for myself um I did that big lots episode and I'm working on another follow-up episode. I, I mentioned that I'm going to release just to patrons um, who have access to the casual astrology podcast, where I'm going to go through like 20 different example charts that I found that I couldn't fit into the last episode. And I'm also going to add that to so that students of my Hellenistic astrology course can also watch that video. So you can check that out at courses.theastrologyschool.com or on my page on Patreon. Um, I'm working on the Hellenistic course and working on some new things there to expand it and also get some some help, um, including a partnership with Levant Laszlo, who's a translator of Greek texts, and he's going to be helping me to uh, field questions from students now as, as a person that's going to be on hand to answer questions that people have about textual things with an actual Greek scholar. So I'm really excited about that partnership and working with him. Um, and then also next month, I'm going to be working on that episode on comets. Uh, which I'm researching right now and is going to be a really amazing episode on the most important comets in history and how comets were dealt with by ancient astrologers. Um, and then finally, I'm still working on the Saturn and Aquarius episode, which will be out at some point. And with all of these episodes, I'll release them for early access to patrons first. So if you'd like to support that work and you would like early access to new episodes, then sign up for my page on patreon.com. But otherwise, I think that's it for this forecast. Thank you so much, Austin, for joining me for this. This is an amazing episode. And thanks everyone in the audience for joining us as well for all of your comments. They're really helpful and I appreciate your support. And uh, yeah, good luck, Austin, this month. And we'll check in again next month. Hopefully you're still still here, still available before crossing that threshold. I hope so. Okay. All right. Well, everyone will be thinking positive thoughts and supporting thoughts of you. Uh, and then you'll take a break at some point here. I'll do the forecasts with somebody else and we'll figure that out when the time comes, but hopefully we'll see you again next month. Yeah. I look forward to it. Cool. All right. Thanks everyone for watching or listening to this episode of the astrology podcast, and we'll see you again next time. All right. Take care. If you appreciate the work I'm doing here on the podcast and you'd like to find a way to support it, then consider becoming a patron through my page on patreon.com. In exchange, you'll get access to some great subscriber benefits including early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of the forecast each month, our monthly Auspicious Elections podcast, which is only available to patrons, 
a whole exclusive podcast series called the Casual Astrology Podcast, or you can even get your name listed in the credits. You can find out more information at patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. Shout out to our sponsor for this episode, which is the Chani app, the number one astrology app for self-discovery, mindfulness, and healing. You can download it on the Apple App Store or on Google Play, or for more information, visit app.chani.com. Special thanks to all the patrons that helped to support the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, shout out to the patrons on our producers tier, including patrons Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Issa Sabah, Jake Otero, Jeannie Marie Kaplan, and Melissa Delano. If you're looking for a reliable astrologer to get an astrological consultation with, then we have a new list of astrologers on the podcast website that we recommend for readings. Most of the astrologers specialize in birth chart readings, although some also offer synastry, rectification, electional astrology, horary questions, and more. Find out more information at theastrologypodcast.com consultations. The astrology software that we use and recommend here on the podcast is called Solar Fire for Windows, which is available for the PC at alabe.com. Use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we recommend a software program called Astro Gold for Mac OS, which is from the creators of Solar Fire for PC, and it includes both modern and traditional techniques. You can find out more information at astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 to get a 15% discount. If you'd like to learn more about my approach to astrology, then I'd recommend checking out my book titled Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune where I go over the history, philosophy, and techniques of ancient astrology, taking people from beginner up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. If you're really looking to expand your studies of astrology, then I would recommend my Hellenistic Astrology course, which is an online course on ancient astrology, where I take people through basic concepts up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. There's over 100 hours of video lectures, as well as guided readings of ancient texts, and by the time you finish the course, you will have a strong foundation in how to read birth charts as well as make predictions. You can find out more information at courses.theastrologyschool.com. And finally, thanks to our sponsors, including The Mountain Astrologer Magazine, which is a quarterly astrology magazine which you can read in print or online at mountainastrologer.com. And the Northwest Astrological Conference, which is happening both in person and online May 23rd through the 27th, 2024, you can find out more information at norwac.net.